What's going on, everybody? I'm Kevin, host of the I'd Tap That Cigar Show. What you're about to listen to is the audio only of a video interview I did on our YouTube channel. If it gets too confusing about what's going on, please feel free to visit the Cigar Prop YouTube channel, look under the playlist, I'd Tap That Cigar Show, and maybe look at it instead of listening to it. But if you're listening to it, it means you like podcasts. So hopefully all of this makes sense, and let's start the show. Diggins and I in here talking in the background. You know, we're just talking about we're talking about know, black like, walnut, like, black walnut and pine, and, and here we are. And I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> it's time. It's time to go. What is going on, everybody? Oh. Welcome to Impromptu Night Live, presented by Corona Cigar. As always, we're coming to you from the Drew Estate Experience Acid Studios. I'm your host Kevin, and I'm uh, on the sunny Gulf Coast of Florida. As always, my co-host Diggins on the sunny Gulf Coast of Texas, and Val Bradshaw. Val Bradshaw is in Canada, and Val Bradshaw is supposed to be joining us tonight. So, um, uh, hopefully, it's Val is just uh, lost track of the uh, of the time. And be, um, oh, geez, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, oh, geez. What are you What are you smoking tonight, Diggins? Okay. All right, tonight. I am going to smoke the Viaje Bruce Banner. Oh, wrong spot. I've got the CAO Flathead on standby um, for afterwards if we go long. But tonight I'm smoking the 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 Viaje Bruce Banner. All right, and I'm smoking it because uh, of a review I read from Charlie. That's why right. I chose it. Some of his tasting notes I want to talk to him about while I'm smoking it. But before I cut it, I want to find out. If and if anyone in the chat knows, um, does Charlie use the same cut for all of his reviews? Is Charlie does Charlie do a, a you know straight cut? Is he a V cut guy? What are we talking about with Charlie when he, he does the review of a cigar? Because I want to use the same damn cut Charlie uses. All right, well he'll be he'll, for I'm this sure cigar. Be back, be back in a second. We want to welcome Val Bradshaw. Yeah, um, uh, you're looking all fancy. Wow. Now. You, you don't get all fancied for me, but you get fancied up for uh, for Charlie Monado. So, you uh, know, uh, we want to welcome some people. Get fancied Quake, up for Quake, Quakes Thirty. What's going on, Team Shirtless Mike? What it be, brother? Dave Preck, Jeff Carpenter, Danny, Adam Wolf, Tyler Garcia, Elizabeth. Welcome, Chica. Uh, Ron Reed, Kevin, she always on, she always looks nice, man. She looks she just as always, fancy as always. Christopher, smoking Ronnie. Thanks for representing the Twitch. Um, let's see, Chico Ray. All right, so uh, let's. I'm gonna get. Uh, I am smoking tonight. I am smoking the the American. Um, so this is from the Corona Cigar Company Presidential Battle Pack. So a little bit about this, uh, the Biden or Trump, that very question can often set off fireworks nowadays, but let's return to the days of civil discussion over a cigar. Got a friend who hates Trump? Maybe you're riding with Biden and that MAGA hat triggers you into a case of TDS. Maybe you're stuck somewhere in the middle between two friends. Let's enjoy a cigar together, talk a little politics, and bring the political battles down to a little more friendly banter. Each battle pack includes one Trump cigar, one Biden cigar, and one cigar we can all get behind, the Robusto size of the American cigar. Let there be peace through the cigars. Smoke the Vote 2020, so you can get um, uh, the Presidential Battle Pack at uh, um, for $29.95 at coronacigar.com. Yes. And, um, and we can all agree that this American cigar is absolutely fantastic. Okay, so, hey, baby, let me get something straight. I thought there were four cigars in that Battle Pack. I thought that there was a... a, a Biden, 
and then I thought there was the Trump presidential, and then then I thought there was the keep. I thought there was a MAGA, and then a Keep America. Yeah, no, it was just it's the Trump cigar, um, um, uh, Biden cigar, and the American. And I'm telling you right now, um, that Biden cigar. I mean, obviously, yeah. none of the cigars are going to be as 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 good as this uh, uh, American. That Biden cigar is going to surprise some mm -hmm. people. So. Yeah, I, I I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. All right, all right, Val. What are you What are you smoking tonight? Now, Val? hey, well, go ahead, Diggins. Well, I was just gonna say that was a natural on that Biden, right? Or is that a Connecticut? I can't remember. Uh, okay. <laughs> it was a uh, um, God. I, I I smoked it. I reviewed it. I put it down. I move on to the next cigar. I yeah. forget everything I learned about that cigar because I only got so much knowledge um, up here. I'm not waiting. Yeah, I'm not waiting so, for Charlie, dude. I'm uh, just going to go ahead with the regular right. cut, man. So, Val, Val, what are we smoking tonight? I've got a Daniel Marshall 35th anniversary that he released a couple of years ago. Oh, man. Lucky, yep. lucky you. I'll and, say. Um, and before we uh, get started, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Bear Duplissa. Um, uh, I had like four pages of notes, all my everything all up in line, and then I went and watched the video. I remember Diggins sent me that video, that he, interview he did with Charlie, and Bear asked like half the questions I was going to ask. So I had to go back to the drawing board, so I yeah. got rid of like a page and a half. But there's a couple questions that are going to be the same with Bear, but they were they were good questions. So um, it's, uh, it, it's I just good, got a little bit of inside knowledge. Just so happens that. It, Years ago, you know, my previous life, I was in radio, and it just so happens that today I made contact with uh, an old radio friend, um, and I'm talking like 25 years ago. Um, but this guy, I always knew he was into cigars. He's in the Dallas area. We had a brief chat, and so he gave me a little bit of something to, that, that might surprise Charlie. That's all. That's all. Right, all right, right on. So we're going to get right to it. Um, <coughs> Let me make sure. God, it's putting off some smoke. Um, waiting patiently in the Southeastern Guide Dogs green room is Charlie Minato of Half Wheel. But I'm going to start off. Charlie's in the back room. Nobody is going to be able to hear this except a, a stream yard. You need to fix this. Um, nobody's going to be able to hear this but me and our guest. So um, Charlie doesn't smile a lot. I'm just, you know, he's a very serious guy. I mean, serious. Charlie, he... He smirks. He smirks occasionally. Charlie doesn't smile a lot, so there's not a lot of photos or videos or interviews of Char Charlie smiling. But I found a video, and this is... I'm just going to go ahead and play it. Uh, Charlie Minato, I'm with uh, thecigarfeed.com. I'm here in uh, Dominican Republic, uh, smoking preferitos, uh, drinking... Uh, not as good as Brian Hewitt with his product placement on Barcelona. Hey, has anybody seen my sister? <laughs> oh, Charlie, your hair is so soft. Getting harassed by uh, Charlie. by Asian Asian males. Um, one of them's trying to make me tan. Uh, tour went well, except uh, except Brian was there. Uh, Jose Blanco showed us around, uh, gave us the Guillermo Leon Lanceros, extra long Lanceros. Uh, first time ever. Jason Wood uh, was working for, for seven seconds. Uh, 
record. Uh, well, Mario. How old were you in that video, Charlie? I was not of drinking age. Um, I'll put it that way. I mean, in the Dominican Republic, I think anyone's of drinking age. But uh, that had to have been 2011. I, I yeah, the the video I found on Vimeo, I couldn't. You know, it was either 11 or 12. I, I can't. No, I, yeah, I think I, it, well, at 12, it would have been Half Wheel. It may have gotten posted on 2012 because maybe Mario yeah. Takayama was infamously terrible at editing videos in a timely manner. But uh, yeah, no, that was uh, that was I think the second blogger trip that La Aurora had done. So, uh, you know, so that was a La Aurora trip because. Yeah, I you know that background, um, uh, uh, Barry Stein from Two Guys. Like so, when I uh, yeah. I showed a video, I played a video of him, and when I saw that video, when that that guy was walking, I'm like, is this gonna be Barry Stein walking behind you? And then, so I, I don't think that was Barry. I think that was Brian Hewitt. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was Brian Hewitt. I think you said that in there, but um, that was like the same backdrop that Barry had. Um, yeah, we were on- uh, we had decided to they, like they decided we were gonna go to the beach one day instead yep. of doing cigar related things so we went to the beach and um mario takiyama who went to go work for drew state uh had all this camera gear that he had brought because he thought he was going to go like to another cigar factory tour i think at one point guillermo stole the camera gear and like hit it behind the bar and mario freaked out for like a good half hour but um yeah so like we were on the beach for hours and drinking and, and eating and um smoking obviously and finally, Mario was like, all right, like, I'm going to get some content. I'm just going to start interviewing you guys. And I was fairly intoxicated, I think, for that video. And I think most of us were at that point because um, we had been day drinking on the beach and on like a Tuesday or something. So, yeah. So that that was uh, uh, that was for Cigar Explorer. Um, is Cigar yes. Explorer still around? That's not a name no. I'm familiar with. No, OK, no. Cigar Explorer was um, I forget all the partners, but Mario Takayama, who, who eventually left and then worked for uh, Drew Estate. And meet in their marketing department, and then Dan Reeve, uh, who is with Cigar Press, um, it was part of Cigar Explorer. Uh, and I want to say there was like two other partners uh, or people involved with the project, but it it was very prolific for like a year and a half. Uh, it was one of the first people that was really doing video outside of uh, Cigar Obsession, and certainly, and so your view was doing it from time to time. But it was much different. Like they were going to events and they were going to factories and, and producing videos. Um, and, uh, eventually it just kind of fizzled out. Uh, yeah, there wasn't a ton of market or a ton of audience for that. And it was particularly, yeah, I imagine p- pretty expensive to be doing what they were doing given the amount of travel and, and, you know, the video end of it. And I don't know if they were selling ads to be quite honest against it or just trying to survive on YouTube revenue. Yeah. The, back then you could. Um, yep. so, um, uh, Charlie, uh, uh, we got our, our co-host Diggins and our co-host Val, Val and Diggins, Charlie Minata. V- Diggins, you had a question uh, on your uh, on your cutter. Uh, you were gonna, have you cut yeah, the cigar? Yeah, but I yeah I grew impatient, man. You know, um, <laughs> I needed to get a cigar a bit, so I went ahead with a, a straight cut. But Charlie, when you do your reviews, do you obviously do you use the same cut every time? And what cut is it? Yeah, I use a straight cut. Um, okay. I used to really enjoy smoking with a V cut, but uh, it's just kind of phased out. So no, it's a straight cut every time. I think the only person on the site that that sort of changes it up for reviews is Brooks because he reviews cutters. So sometimes he's reviewing a V cutter, sure, um, and that that leads to a lot of V cuts. He also likes the Dickman cut, which is the the angled straight cut. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, okay. um, I'm not particularly fond of. Well, I mean, and with that, you know, generally when you do a review, you, you have three samples, correct? Yep. Okay, so you've never thought, or have you ever thought about, you know, sample one is a V cut, sample two is is a guillotine, or you know, or anything like that? Is it just you're looking for that consistency across all three of them, so you want that same cut? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't particularly care for. I heard you mentioning it. I don't particularly care for punch cuts on nearly yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I just stick to a straight cut. I, I think that's ultimately what I would prefer. I mean, you know, in my free time, I certainly didn't V cut this. Um, and what are you smoking? Uh, I'm smoking Atabay. an Atabay yeah. something or other. <laughs> I, who knows? A very large Atabay. I was um, I was wondering. I'm like, is he just really close to the camera? No, that's like, a big like a, That is a large atom. Yeah, this is like a seven by fifty four, fifty six, probably. Okay, right so did you hear? Did you hear what I was smoking tonight, Charlie? You're smoking a Bruce Banner from VI. Yeah, is that correct. I'm smoking the Bruce Banner, and the reason I selected it was because of the Parmesan that you detected on the. Uh, uh, apparently, you said you, it was on the the foot aroma, the smoke aroma. Okay, you had parmesan, but on That's retro, you, on retro, you had beef jerky, you had mushroom, um, white wine, lemon. These are all things that I've never, I've never, ever detected. And my palate is not nearly as refined as yours, obviously. Um, but I thought I would sit here and smoke it with you and and see how far off base my palate is from yours. Well, I'm and, and, guessing, just just out of, like just purely a guess. The fact that you're going to go looking for those flavors means you probably find get any of them. I'm not going to. No, you'll you'll probably get more than I don't know. Probably get half of them. I mean, it's just it's a. Uh, people always ask like the worst Dude, way to review Parmesan a cigar. Threw me off, man. The Parmesan. The Parmesan's a weird one. Um, yeah. The worst way to review a cigar and the best way to review a cigar is to, to have a whole bunch of people smoking the same cigar because what will happen is somebody will be like, oh, I. I it, Parmesan. I mean, did y'all have did y'all have Pizza Hut that afternoon? I don't. I mean, I don't know when the last time I had pizza, but no, (laughs) it's just it's a it's a weird. You know, sometimes the the flavors are very bizarre. There's I increasingly seem to be having these conversations. Um, (laughs) You know, not to say that our flavors suddenly got weird. They they've been quite bizarre for a while. But um, you know, when you're the way that you you actually taste flavors, you're not. It's a it's a chemical reaction. So it's it's not as if I'm eating Parmesan while I'm like, or, or, you know, while I'm tasting the smoke, it's yeah. just for whatever reason, the wires sort of get crossed and that's what comes of, up. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it reminds you of that Parmesan aroma. That's it. Val, can you tell us a little bit about and, your cigar tonight and then what, and then what you're pairing it with? All right. So, um, I'm actually smoking a Daniel Marshall 35th anniversary. And this is in honor of Charlie because the first time I ever met him, you, was um, at the 2015 IPCPR in New Orleans when I was working at the Daniel Marshall booth. And uh, you came by the booth and Daniel was um, having a conversation with another individual and he kind of you know, signaled to me, don't let Charlie get away. Keep Charlie at the booth so he's got a chance to talk and, uh, and I don't know if you remember Charlie, but I just kind of blabbered on and on and on. I was just making stuff up as I went along, just trying to keep you there. And you were you were very considerate. You kind of you almost smiled at me at one point because I think you could tell I was trying really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember much of any of uh, the trade shows, but uh, that sounds something 
something that would happen in the Dana Marshall booth? Yeah, sure. And what I am drinking um, in honor of Canadian whiskey, this particular whiskey, the uh, Alberta Premium Cask Strength Rye, was just named World Whiskey of the Year. Um, the, The reviewer, you get mixed reactions when you mention the reviewer, so let's just say that it's World Whiskey of the Year for 2021. And I love it. I'm a big Alberta premium fan, uh, Canadian whiskey, big fan of Canadian whiskey. And I, uh, I grew up in Alberta. So flavors, aromas from that province, it's an agricultural province. It's an oil and gas province. province. And so like you were saying, Charlie, you, you recognize aromas that you're familiar with. They, they trigger a memory. And that's how I feel about Alberta premium is it triggers a memory for me. And Charlie, are you, are you pairing with anything tonight? Yeah, I have a gin and tonic. Okay. Kenobi and tonic, to be very specific. Okay. Is that is that is that your your general go to, or do you you know? Are, are you yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I seem to be drinking more gin and tonics than just about anything else. Um, so. That, that that you know what that that makes me feel so much because I you know I don't know I'm you know, not as Man. sophisticated that I am a Bacardi and diet. I I find something I like that pairs well with most cigars. I can I can filter that Bacardian diet out, and then I can taste the cigar. So it's good to know at least someone else. You know, is, is this a trend see going on her. <laughs> in in the cigar industry? That or is it just something I'm now waking up to? Because I've noticed, you know, Eric, for example, Eric is drinking a lot of gin and tonics. You Everybody, see uh, Matt Booth with his gin. Matt Booth with his own gin line. You know, you're, you is this something new to people pairing cigars with gin? lately or have i just been missing the boat for the past 20 years um i you know i think all the the spirits sort of come and go um depending on what the the large liquor brands want to spend money on marketing right so um i you know gin is obviously the easiest alcohol to make um or about as easy as it's going to get there's very little aging and you know it's so you you run a pretty efficient production and so i think gin has become uh, a much bigger there's a lot more gin available these days than uh, than there was um as far as the tonic component uh, maybe fever tree certainly you know has tried to to make a point of of having better tonic i'm not a huge fever tree fan to be quite honest but um as far as pairing goes i mean i'm i'm guessing that if we had the same conversation in like three months when it's cold as shit in most places <laughs> it's probably not going to be gin and tonic season but um mm-hmm. you know summer's winding down and I'll drink but it, it seems, January, but you, but, feel, you feel as though it pairs well with a, a good cigar. Uh, yeah, I think that there aren't a ton of things that are I th- are problematic pairings. I actually think coffee's a, a quite a terrible pairing um, for cigars, at least in terms of trying to taste the cigar. But I mean, other than that, I you know I think most things probably can find a, a cigar, and you know I don't know if I would smoke this with like a super heavy Maduro, but. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think rum by itself is probably one of the maybe the best, the most universal, a bit too sweet for a lot of people. And then I, I think the other one that's kind of sneaky good is champagne. Um, I think the any sort of sparkling wine, what it does to the palate really helps to accentuate you know whatever you're you're smoking. I've you just know, got I, I, straight I, bourbon I've whiskey often, on ice. I've often thought about that. Val, do you do? Because I said I've really wanted to try champ because people say the bubbles and then will help cleanse the palate. Or, do you find that as is a champagne yeah absolutely like the the bubbles will help to cleanse the palate but what they'll also do is you've got the residual smoke in your mouth so those bubbles are going to spread the smoke around 
as you swallow it, whatever is residual, whatever is left. So you're going to kind of get a secondary hit off of the cigar smoke that you've got. Going back to the to the gin, um, gin has had a bit of a renaissance. About three or four years ago, Dave Broom, who's a, a very well-respected um, spirits writer, he actually put a book out about gin. And, and it kind of kick-started things for people, I think. Um, you know, it's... It's, I think it's a little too easy to say that some of the spirits have run their course, like scotch, um, like bourbon. I don't think they have, but I think that there's a lot more education out there. So you've got a lot more educated palates, and they're looking for something different. That's it. And that, that's in the cigar world. I mean, obviously, Charlie knows it better than anybody else. Everybody is always looking for something, something different. Um, is that... Um, and speaking of something different and then what you know, um, a lot of people don't know. Um, and then uh, doing some digging, I found it. And then Bear mentioned it on a show. You actually have a, um, a beer blog as well. And that's not something that you really talk about on Half Wheel. It's not something you promote on, on both, both sides. Um, can you tell everybody the name you know, for all the, uh, um, uh, the craft beer lovers out there that may be watching or maybe listening into the future? Um, uh, the name of the blog or name of the website and then what you know what got you started with that yeah so the website's called tenemu t-e-n-e-m-u.com it's uh based off of an egyptian word for sort of one of the beer predecessors um so thousands and i think probably close to ten thousand years old actually um in terms of the the sort of origins of it um it's a website that's largely run by brooks whittington who's one of the partners in half wheel and, and one of the, the other co-founder of half wheel and he was very, very much into craft beer um, when we were sort of starting Half Wheel. And it seemed like a natural addition. We obviously had an expertise or some semblance of knowledge, maybe not expertise, of, of starting a blog and you know, all the back end things. Um, but we, we don't really promote a, t a ton of it on Half Wheel. Um, it didn't, from a business standpoint, make sense for us to do a ton of cross promotion because it's it certainly we want to have you know two independent audiences to sell to advertisers so that's why you don't see sort of daily or weekly mentions of it but it's uh it's similar to half wheel the craft beer world is massively larger than so our world on mm -hmm. just about every level there are obviously thousands of, of breweries as opposed to maybe a hundred cigar manufacturers or you know people making cigars factories making cigars um at any sort of scale um there are tens if not hundreds of thousands of new beers that come out so we're not writing about uh, every beer let alone one percent of them but tries to more focus on sort of the, the bigger releases and then not necessarily the up-and-coming breweries but sort of the ones that are that are up and coming on the national scene in terms of gaining respect um and certainly sort of a beer nerds website as opposed to halfway where we sort of cover everything charlie um you look like a young man Hopefully, um, it is Monday though, so we'll see what yeah. Friday holds. What, what has inspired you? What made you decide to go into not only the the cigar world, but the beer world, and and more importantly, the the tasting world? That that here's my palate, and um, I, I'm going to share it with the world. Uh, and, and let me let me expand a little bit on that for Diggins because that that goes along with a question that that, that I have because I was going to ask Charlie what his age was as well. Charlie, do you mind? How how old are you? No, I am twenty eight. 
I, See, you're a you very young man. You're a very you, young man to be so far yeah, into, because, into this game. So you know, how did it start? Where did come from? Because you, you, you start. You know, you started Half Wheel when you were an intern for Business Insider while going to college at Wake Forest, and at that point, you'd already started. I think Cigar Feed was already up and down within that whole time of, you know, the, your, your Business Insider. You're going to college at Wake Forest. Yes, where like Diggins says, where, where did this, this this love of cigars at such an amazing young age start? And where where did you find this palette? So yeah, I mean, yeah, did you so, at age eleven tell mom, hey, this sucks? <laughs> you know, uh, maybe probably. I should call my mother and ask her. Um, but um, no, so you know, I started smoking cigars. I smoked cigars when I was on vacation and whatnot, and here and there. Uh, when I was probably not of age. Uh, but um, I went off to school to Wake Forest, and uh, pretty early on, there was uh, somebody in the dorm had a birthday in like September or something, pretty very, very early into the school year. And they, at the time, they were still trying to like have, you know, opportunities for the people within the dorm to, you know, meet each other and learn everyone's name. So they, they sort of turned that into like a, a social event for the people. The, the males in the, the dorm because I think there was maybe three or four floors. So everyone got a cigar and, and went up and you know smoked and interacted with people that they'd sort of seen in passing. Um, and I was fascinated because I'd, I'd heard obviously the Cuban brands um, and I'd heard of Davidoff and that was probably the extent of it at that point. And people were smoking all sorts of stuff from you know the, the non-Cuban Cuban brands and then uh, certainly, there were some JR alternatives because Winston Salem is not too far away from the one of the big JR stores in North Carolina. And then there were all these other brands like Oliva and God knows what else. And I was uh, certainly probably CAO at that point in time, which was probably a very popular choice. And no one really knew what they were doing, but I was I was sort of interested to know like where where did all these brands come from because um, you know I, I hadn't been into a a real premium cigar store outside of like a one that was at a resort, which, you know, was basically Cubans and Davidoffs and whatever else random thing got thrown in there. And so I went back and, and researched it and realized there was this whole world of cigars um, that, uh, you know, I'd never heard of. And I, you know, was sort of fascinated by the business end of, of how the cigar industry worked and, and how big it was. And, and then you start reading, you know, pretty early on you find somebody like the placentias you know even the olivas which gets confusing with you know you have all these these families and they're they more or less it's the family business. yeah and they're all super connected and you're like wait a minute why did somebody like rocky patel who at the time maybe was just about to start tavacusa so didn't have a factory although has a factory with his name on it that's not actually his in honduras <laughs> the, the main one that pulled the placentia zone but the Placentis are making cigars for Rocky. They're making cigars for, you know, God knows how many other people. Rocky's got cigars being made by that factory. He's got cigars being made at, at STG Donnelly in Honduras. Like, this this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's terribly inefficient. There seems to be a lot of competitors, you know, uh, competing against each other. Certainly not different than uh, most other industries. You know, Samsung makes parts for Apple, um, even though they compete. And I got fascinated in that part of it. And then it pretty quickly you learned that there were brands like Taiwahe that were doing interesting things that weren't really being written about with single store releases and um, 
you know, the monster series was obviously written about, but you had things like the pork tenderloin that were coming up. And, you know, eventually I got on cigar forums and, and the information was sort of scattered, but there was a little bit of it. And so the cigar feed wasn't really about like, I felt like I had some awesome palette. It was more of a, I was pretty good at doing research, certainly better than, and was willing to put in the time more than anyone else was. And I was interested in learning about, you know, sort of the cigar market per se. The, but, the very technical side of it. You wanted to compile it. Yeah. Easy access. Uh, Here's what yeah, you Yeah, things got. like the release list came about. And, um, but at the time, you know, cigar blogs were all about reviewing cigars. That was basically the extent of them. And so maybe General would put out a press release or somebody like that, and they would all republish it. But, um, you know, so when the cigar feed started, it seemed like a good idea to have new or have reviews. And the other part of it was was that most cigar blogs, even to this day, but but certainly back then, like if there was a bad cigar, they just wouldn't say anything. Um, yeah. And it, you would go on the forums, and it would be a lot different. People on the forums would trash cigars left and right, but you would read a cigar review, and it was just this is great or this is the, the the most common one was this is good for the money because uh, that point in time was the, the five yeah it's good for the money or it wasn't for me try it for yourself weren't even getting to the latter we were just it good <laughs> for the money or it's a good cigar and um you know or it's too big it's 56 ring gauge so it's just you know I, I can't smoke this um and so I remember having a conversation with Bill Davies at Tobacco Locker, Port Charlotte, Florida. That's that's my, that, that's my lounge. Yeah. So uh, okay, I've never been to the store, but I was ordering cigars from Bill because he had a whole bunch of weird stuff listed on his yeah. website at the time because it wasn't updating. And um, I remember Bill would Bill would say you should smoke this, and I'd smoke this, and he'd ask about something else, and I'd be like, oh, I already smoked it, and it was terrible. And he was like, you know, because he re- knew that I was writing about. Um, Apple, the, the the tech company, on a freelance basis, and he was like, "You should do this for cigars. Like, you should you should just give your opinions because he goes too many of these cigar reviewers. They just they don't say anything negative, and everything is just wonderful. And he goes, that's just not true. And so uh, a few months passed, and then the cigar feed launched in April or May of 2010, and then um, the video that was played earlier is in 2011 in March, I want to say, and then. Um, I guess by August or maybe July of that year, I had met Brooks and we were talking and, and Brooks had a website called Smoking Stogie, which reviewed cigars. Brooks is a professional photographer. He used to shoot for the Dallas Morning News, um, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And his website was reviewing rare and hard to find cigars. Um, and it was a lot of crazy stuff. It was LFT Albuzeos. It was uh, Grand Reservas, uh, super small batch Illusione stuff that like there was no record of essentially existing. And um, I loved Brooks's website to read it because it was, it was all these rare cigars that you would never see otherwise. And um, we decided that, that we could take his photography acumen and, and my sort of uh, news end of things and put them together. And then we started planning out Half Wheel, which launched January 1 of 2012. Right on. Um, have you ever smoked a Bill cigar, the Jose Carlos? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Fan- fan- I've smoked the Jose Carlos without bands. I've smoked the Jose Carlos with the first round of bands. I don't know if there's a third round. I know there's been at least a yeah. revision of bands. But, yeah, no, I've smoked the Jose Carlos. Um, I saw them in the store. One of these days I'll get out in the, I guess, more or less middle of nowhere, Florida. And come to no, the- it's a uh, we're, we're, well, question in, uh, about how in, where yeah. Half Wheel came about and and the cigar review but well, I, um, um, I, I still want to learn 
where you developed your palate and where you discovered that you had this palate and is it something that you use throughout your day with your lunch and i mean is it something that is just ingrained in you now to where it's every little thing you're picking up all right this has a hint of paprika or you know this uh particular sandwich you know would be much better if they had mrs dash on it whatever the case may be you know <laughs> yeah so i i think there's i you know i don't know how great my actual like ability to taste sensations is um because that's and there are there are sort of ways to do this and there's a lot of scientific studies about it so there, there's a certain yeah. part of the population yeah. that's considered to be a super taster um, which is about 10% wow. of the population. Um, and then there's everyone else. Um, but that's only, that's only the sort of identification or the, the picking up of the flavors. Then there's the part, which I think is probably where a, a lot of people struggle. It's the, how do you translate that? You know, there are so many times in which I, you know, and I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, where I'll taste something and I can't really point out that? Yeah, yeah. what it is. And that's the part that I think that, I might be a little bit better at, um, but it, it, it's also just a, you know, it's an exercise in, in, in the process of, of, you know, when I smoke cigars for review, I smoke them by myself. Um, you know, I try to be as isolated as possible. So I'm not on the phone. I'm not, you know, having a conversation with somebody else. Certainly I'm not in a cigar lounge where other people are smoking. Um, it used to take place at night, um, super late at night outside where the only thing that would, that I would be able to see would be my computer screen. I wouldn't even, you know, just try to isolate myself as much as possible to focus on it. And, you know, like right now I can't really tell you what's going on outside of some very simplistic things with that cigar. Cause I'm not really paying attention to it. Um, and if I tried to review a cigar in the middle of this conversation, it would go very poorly. Um, yeah. because it just yeah, requires absolutely. a ton of focus. But so you're taking notes and, and, and doing all that, you know, obviously. Yeah, I'm just, it's, just, it's constant note-taking. And then I would say the other big thing for cigar reviews that's a bit different is that there seems to be this book that somebody wrote that said cigars are earthy or they're woody or they're chocolatey or they're spicy and they're creamy or whatever. And that was kind of the end of it. And then it was like, oh, well, now this reviewer says it tastes like pine nuts or something and it's like oh who the hell's ever tasted a pine nut in a cigar before and what's crazy is if you go and you look at a wine tasting happening like if you think half wheels nuts uh, i would highly recommend watching the documentary psalm and or, or reading a wine review i mean they're talking about you know there's a moment in psalm i forget what the flavor is but they're talking i think it, it's not grapes it may be apples but they're talking about like is this an like, okay, what kind of apple is it? And then, like, is it fresh? Is it ripe? Is it unripe? Is it rotting? And I am so far from that. I can say apple. There is no way I can now, say green, red, Fuji, Now, Now, ripe. Val, our, our, no our resident, our resident Val, wine expert, yes. you know, she, she can pick that out. Or is that, is that something, uh, you know, that, that you do quite often, Val? You, you pick out the different apples and the wines and... Well, okay. That actually, apple is a pretty pretty loaded oh. question because you look at the apples you've got a you've got a granny smith apple that's very very tart and so you know when when you think of the acids in an apple you're thinking of the uh, harsh mallow acids 
and and you know pretty astringent really compared to let's say a red delicious but quite frankly we very rarely use red delicious as a descriptor we will use granny smith absolutely and we will use apple but if we want to drill down a little bit then we'll go to granny smith and i mean you know i'm a level three sommelier so i've taken classes through wine and spirit education trust and they teach us to be very consistent in in our in our methods just like charlie said he tries to isolate he tries to make sure he's you know basically following the same pattern every time um but we also use a, a standardized list of descriptors we can deviate but we wouldn't be able to deviate when we're being tested for instance uh okay, for our so level answer, three sommelier answer my ignorance please uh, you're a level three sommelier obviously there are levels for whiskey sommeliers just as what there are wine sommeliers and is there well, a level what? is there a level or something for uh not tobacconist but you know what i mean a a, a tobacco expert there are tasters franca Comparato from cigar sense she's an iso um accredited taster so um when you get into that level like charlie says you're talking quite a bit more science than you know what you're picking up in terms of aromas flavors taste uh you know taste is 80 percent smell so even though you you know you're, you're tasting certain things on your palate you're actually smelling a lot more than you're tasting and, it, and like charlie says it's science so it translates he also mentioned you know being able to register that aroma or taste in your in your brain quickly so that's your olfactory vocabulary. How developed is your olfactory vocabulary? And that's a question for you, Charlie. How you know how developed is your olfactory vocabulary on a scale of one to ten? Do you think? I mean, I would imagine that it's pretty high up there. I certainly don't like. I don't go and you know buy those tasting kits and try to retest myself every six months or anything along those lines. But. Um, yeah, I would say it's pretty high up there. And the other, I mean, the, the other part for this, and I think our readers certainly get onto us is like about this, but it's a lot different. And Val sort of alluded to it. You know, if you're not retrohaling a cigar, it, it's sort of a game over in terms of trying to make sense of anything that Halfwell's got to say about individual flavors. You might agree with us that this cigar is good or this cigar is bad or whatever, but um, because of, of the reliance on your, your, your smelling abilities versus, you know, your tongue, if you're not blowing the smoke out through your nose, then particularly in, in, in tasting cigars where you are tasting smoke, um, I think the game's sort of over. It's a bit different with, with other things because with food, what you're actually tasting most of the time, and there's a really easy way to tell this, um, which is if, if, you, if you go to take a bite of something and you just hold your nose all the way through the bite, what will end up happening is the, the, the track that's in the back of your mouth won't open. And what normally happens when you go to take a bite of food is that as you're chewing it, unless you're chewing with your mouth open, the gases are building in your actual mouth. And then when you go to swallow, humans are just innately trained to do this. This pathway opens up in the back and all the gases go out and leak into your, basically your nose. And then in your nose, you've got, you know, it depends on, on how developed you are and, and, and how old you are, but you've got 
you know, thousands upon thousands of. Oh, oh did you hear that, Dig? I heard it. Yeah. Uh, of uh, of taste buds compared you, to your. You, your you old bastards can't taste shit. That's yeah. why I'm better at this. <laughs> no, I'm you're you're still good. It's when you're in your 70s or your 80s. It's it's kind of when they they generally when the average human sort of trails off and that becomes this game of like you may have a lot more experiences and a lot more ability to identify you know what's going on but that's when the actual the receptors that are that are all over your palate begin to start degrading to a point where where they aren't working as well and even beyond that like the sciences is pretty developing uh, on on the whole concept of taste receptors, um, you know, Hanky Kellner of Davidoff does this thing where he takes the, a picture of the tongue and he says, this is where you taste spicy and this is where you taste salty mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah. And that was the science up until I think the eighties. And then they've done further research and said, that's not really how this works. Certain people have certain parts of their mouth that are more capable of tasting sweetness um, in certain areas of the tongue. Uh, but other people, it's kind of a, a split. And then, then there's the whole nose thing. But, you know, once again, the easiest way to tell this is if you go, it doesn't matter what you're eating, whether it's Doritos or a steak or whatever. Um, if you take a bite and you just hold your nose all the way through it, you will find that you probably don't really taste much. Um, and then if you just, you know, open, you know, take your fingers off your nose and take a normal bite of it, you'll notice that, uh, that you get a lot more of it. And that's also the same reason why you can occasionally blow food out through your nose because that, that track exists. Aside, aside from tastings, pairings, fine palates, etc., when you are hanging out, watching Netflix, you've got the munchies, salty or sweet? Generally salty. Uh, see, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a sweet. Jessica's a salty. Val, Val, what are you? I, I, lean, I lean more to the salty, even though I'm a huge chocolate fan. If I have to choose... I'll typically choose the salty. Yeah. But it, yeah. And again, it's mood related too. Uh, and I think females. Well, he specifically said munchies. So. Yeah, munchies. Yeah. I specifically <laughs> said munchies. I did. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, munchies yeah, is undefeated. No, I want savory foods. Right. Oh, hey, yeah, okay. No, so yeah. then, so, so then I've been asking these questions about your palate, Charlie, um, and, and where it comes from, because apparently your palate is not just famous in, in the cigar world, but, some might say on the streets of Dallas, if Charlie Minato walks into a bar, they're going to ask for a mojito. I mean, if I'm behind the bar, that, that generally is probably a good, uh, a good guess. But I'm not behind a bar very often, fortunately. So, so tell us about this world-famous mojito that Charlie Minato creates in, in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah, when I was back in school, um, at some point I, I really liked mojitos. I was drinking a ton of rum, and um, yeah, I think I still like cold beverages more than room temperature beverages. Um, and so, I don't know. I decided I was going to figure out how to make a really, really good mojito. Um, and uh, I think at some point I got there. I haven't made one probably in six months, to be quite honest. Um it's nothing special. The, the trick with a good mojito is the ice um, is sort of the start of it. So, like, we have at the office, we have a pebble ice machine. So, like, the Chick-fil-A style ice, Sonic ice. Yeah, the Sonic um, ice that I can't stand. Yeah. 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 So, that's the, the first thing because one of the problems with the mojito is that it, when people are making it, they, they put the rum in and they, you know, if you're following a recipe, and then you put your, you put your ice in and then you've got, um, I guess, 
technically you should muddle the mint first and then you want to put your simple syrup or your sugar you'll put the rum in you'll stir that all around then you'll fill it up with ice um, and then you'll have whatever's left and what ends up happening a lot is that if you're just using regular cubes there's a lot of pockets and no one wants to leave a drink no one wants to serve a drink that looks like this um, particularly at a bar so they'll end up putting way too much club soda in um, and it dilutes down the, the drink um, and and there's a million other problems that go on with that so that's the start of it um, in terms of so for anybody who's out there you know seriously the word on the street you know in north texas is if you meet charlie Minato, asking to make you a mojito yeah. Yeah, definitely on the street. Ask me to do that. I just carry around the model. Absolutely, dude. Yeah, you know? that's it. You know, and I pull just, up I the just Maybach the, and tell them to pull the bar out. I, I just watched a commercial today, and I, forget, I think it's Samsung that now uh, their their refrigerators or their freezers actually uh, make um, uh, craft ice. The freezer makes these balls of ice. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, I would that, much that, rather that than that Sonic Crush, that Sonic uh, that, that, ice. I hate that. I, I like that that Sonic style ice. It's it's good. I, w- I wish I could have a uh, uh, an ice maker that made that. So that is that yeah. Is I mean, cool. the other option is to use really um, skinny glasses. Um, that so that way you don't have or just you know not put a ton of club soda in. Um, but that's that's normally where they go wrong with a mojito, and they just yeah. tend to, tend to be too sweet. So uh, do you Val, do, what is what, what else is your do you preference review? on ice? You know, I, I rarely use ice. I rarely drink uh, iced drinks. Yeah, I mean, if we're socializing, that's different. But even tonight, I got a new glass. I got the cradle glass, which I just received today. And I love it because I know I have said in the past, you shouldn't hold a glass by the bowl because you're heating up your liquid. But this is such a thick base. I don't know if you can, if you can see how thick the base is. It would be very hard from, you know, the body heat to actually heat up the liquid and it's staying at room temperature. I'm not, I'm not noticing any difference when it comes to ice though. Mm, not a big fan, not a big fan of ice. I, I went into a, a, a cigar lounge in Atlanta and I asked them to serve my drink neat. And when it showed up, it had a, you know, one of those big ice balls in it. And I asked them to take it back because I wanted, I wanted that beverage neat. I wanted that shot of bourbon neat. So what they did was they just took the ice out and returned the drink to me. So the, the, the bourbon was still cold, like it was still ice cold. And so then I take the drink up to the bar and I says, you know, uh, this beverage is cold, I wanted it at room temperature. And the bartender actually said to me, do you want me to microwave it for you? And I was really surprised by that response because I had ordered it neat. It's not. It's not like I didn't make make my request known. Um, so you know, I was a little discouraged by that. I I did write a letter to you know the bar manager and I said you know an email. I said this this just was really tough because I wanted to review a cigar with this particular bourbon that I can't get in my market, and it just kind of you know went south. So they invited me back uh, the next night. And it was great because they they started pulling out the bourbons and the whiskeys that were under the bar, not the stuff that was on the shelf, but those special bourbons and whiskeys that are under the bar that nobody knows about. And it was a great evening. And I I've met a you know I'm at, at the same bar was a fellow by the name of Lindsay Williams who I'm still friends with. He's in Atlanta, and and we were able to discuss a lot what happens exactly what charlie was saying 
what happens to the palate, to the brain, to the nose, everything else with the science behind drinking a beverage that's it's kind of meant for a technical assessment. And, uh, and that's why I choose to stay away from ice because ice numbs the taste buds. And, and I'd rather have my taste buds always on point. Well, Charlie, let me, let me tell you, um, compared to your review and the exact same cigar, same size, um, same tunneling issue, uh, slight burn issue, okay? The reason I grabbed my notes is because I, I just had them sitting over there. The only thing that had stuck mainly in my head was that Parmesan. Um, but I, as I sit and I did a, a slight retro, I, I kind of noticed a little bit of the mushroom. And that's when I was like, well, okay, so mushroom. Grabbed my notes. Sure enough, Charlie, Charlie picked up mushroom on that one. And I'm getting the same as what your review said with one of your three had tunneling issues so i mean uh, guys <laughs> charlie has a lot of charlie has a lot of tasting notes but his reviews are spot on they they, they are you know um that ability control early. say that again say that again val you broke up oh. oh sorry i broke up sorry i'm just um i'm kind of wondering if one out of is it just me or did uh, you break up again? Yeah. No, I have no clue what you said. Oh, they'd have tunneling issues. Is that it was okay? Let's try again. Can you hear me? <laughs> Canada stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think we got you now. Yeah, Val, you may, yeah, may want to break up too a little bit. I'm only Val, you may, may want to just, just exit out and then come back in. Okay. So Charlie, uh, half wheel. Where did uh, where did half wheel come from? Like the name, the half of a wheel. Where did uh? Yeah. So um, Steve Valley, who is working for Brooks at Swing Stogie, was uh, working with us when we were launching Half Wheel, and um, we were trying to think of a name that was cigar related but wasn't cigar smoking Stogie smoke anything along those lines. And so we were going through books and glossaries and all sorts of stuff. And uh, eventually Steve was like, you know, we, there were a couple of names that we'd ran across like uh, Lector and I don't know what else, but there were, there were a handful of them. None of them were available one way or another. And Steve ran across uh, or mentioned Half Wheel, um, which is a reference to, it's the English translation of a Spanish phrase called the uh, Medirueta, which literally translates to media's half and Rueda's wheel. And um, what it refers to is the bundles of 50 cigars that uh, you can still find with, with some brands, um, but are mainly used in factories. So when they roll cigars in factories and, and they go to age them, uh, typically they will put them in bundles of 25 or 50, 50 was sort of the more traditional approach. Um, and the name was mostly available. We had to buy the domain name, but other than that, the, no one was using the Facebook account or the Twitter handle and those sorts of things. And so, uh, when Steve mentioned it, I was like, Oh, I know what the, the logo is going to be. We're just going to take like a, a wooden wheel and cut half of it off and that'll be the end of it. And, um, better than Lecter to me. Yeah, no, I'm glad we, we ran or Steve ran across it. Um, 
And uh, yeah, that was the end of it. And to this day, we still get asked near daily about where the name came from. Uh, and I, I like Lector, but I, but I, I don't think in, in today's day and age, a lot of people won't know the reference of what you know Lector is. So Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, probably more than what no half wheel. Yeah, I mean half wheel though. I mean it's. I mean t- to me at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it's one of those names. It's like it, d- it doesn't make a difference. What what but, I mean, it's it's a, just a good a good name. Yeah, once the name gets out, everyone knows what half wheel does. Then you know, yeah. uh, it, it's their lector. You wh- wh- what is their logo? I mean, someone standing on a podium reading out of a book. Um, yeah. yeah, as opposed to half of, a wagon wheel, you know, kind of makes. But there's there's historical importance to that. Yeah, yeah, There's but historical importance to to the lector because oh, yeah. had it not been for that lector reading to the the Cuban rollers, they wouldn't have known what was going on in terms of the revolution, and oh, they and really it would have been brought a great that name community together and it and yeah, it educated. But it was taken. Yeah, so it was an is an important role. Oh, I, th- I think you absolutely. I think you yeah. Sorry. How's that cigar? How's that cigar smoking now, Charlie? So. Oh, are we, are we back, Val? Oh no. I'm back. So, are you back? I'm yeah. here. Am I here? Yeah. Charlie's. Am I on? Am I on the YouTube's? Yeah. So, so how, how's the cigar smoking, we do have, Charlie? We do have rain falling, <laughs> but that's not on my end. I think we lost Charlie. Yeah. I, 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 no, we got so Charlie. I, just, I want to go back. You got him back? No, he didn't go anywhere. Okay, Val, Val you wanted to go back to the control. That, that was your question, right? Was the, the control on his three cigar review, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, he's, uh, uh, he, yes. he must have got cut. Yes. He must have got cut, so, cut out. Experience yeah. technical uh, difficulties. With, with cigar and I and see issues. You know, is that a construction issue? Is that a quality control issue? Um, because it it really it really shouldn't happen if they're actually testing their cigars the way we come I, I, to expect cigars to be tested. I agree, and especially when when you got a, a thirteen and change dollar viaje, um, but when Charlie has cigar. his three yeah. his three cigars, one of those three cigars had burn issues and tunneling. Okay, the other two he said in his review, the other two burned flawlessly. Right. All right, this one did have a but tunnel. that's still thirty three percent. Yeah, this one did have a tunneling issue. Okay. Fortunately, I was able to touch it up, and it was just a small stem, so where I could burn through it. And now we're even again. But yes, there was a large stem in there that caused the tunnel. It's burning slow as hell. I mean, how long have we been on? Almost sure. a full hour. We're almost a full hour, and we're just this far into it. It's burning very slow, and cool. Um, I'd give it. Charlie said at eighty-eight. I'd I'd say you know what. Charlie's spot on. Yeah, I wish he was. Uh, and what uh, a lot of the producers <laughs> use is a draw tester. 
Yeah. A lot of producers use a draw tester so that they can check the draw of every cigar that's coming through. And and again, that really helps you when you buy a box of cigars. You you want to be able to smoke every last cigar in the box. One of the complaints that we often hear about Cuban cigars is the quality control issue. They're not doing draw testing. Um, if you were to weigh, you know, every cigar from a box of Cuban cigars, you're going to find a you know a pretty big variance in weight. So again, that's a quality control issue. And I think when you're paying, like you say, fifteen dollars. I mean, let's face it, minimum wage. So if if your minimum wage. Yeah, if you if, if, if you're unfortunate if you're unfortunate enough to be a minimum wage employee, that's an hour's worth of work. Exactly. Yep. So, all right, we got Charlie back. Sorry, I don't know what happened. I put in an AirPod and then I couldn't hear anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> are you getting rain? Are you getting rain where you are now? I am. It appears to be pouring as far as I can. Yeah, we're where, where where are you right now, Charlie? I'm in our office and right outside of downtown Dallas, okay. Texas. Okay, so, so you got a is that is that a garage door or is that a just a uh, a window? Nope, it is a very expensive garage door. Oh, okay. Uh, that uh, so so your your office is um um like how big is the uh, um the the HQ the uh, um the Half Wheel headquarters? It is just under four thousand square feet. Okay, so so and twenty five hundred of those are carrying cigars. Yeah, yeah. maybe not twenty five hundred, but there's certainly quite a few cigars here. If you, if you had to take a guess, how many cigars are you are you having in your you know your arsenal there? I'm guessing that it's it's north of twenty thousand. Um, Let's go back to control. Let's go back. I got a question about control because when you have a cigar to review, you hold it for thirty days, correct? Before you review, we try it. to, yeah. At least. Okay, is that okay. is that the same humidor every time? Like yeah, your, so your control humidor is at the same spot. AC wise, everything. Yeah, so the the cigars come in. Um, they get photographed usually within twenty four hours of coming in. Uh, obviously, if they show up on a Friday and Brooks isn't here, then they might wait a little while. But um, sure. then they go into um, one of our cabinet humidors that we have. That's. Uh, specifically there for review cigars and so um my cigars will stay in that cabinet humidor brooks's and patrick's won't for very long most likely brooks has his own he's got a savoy i think it is at this point um that's just for reviews so the cigars will go in there and then um patrick is in phoenix so his cigars will get shipped out with the with a bovida and then um we'll also keep so if we buy a box we'll you know, we'll take three or four out for the review, and then um, we'll keep the remainder of the box in that humidor until we're we're done with it. In the event that something happens and we need one, you ever or, smoke a cigar before the review? Uh, if I'm reviewing the cigar, it may happen once a year, and it's it's usually uh, usually done on accident or, or done before we've purchased the cigar and figured out who's reviewing it. Um, I, I'll tell you, I, I I love hearing that because I I you might be the only other person besides me that that really does that. You know, um, I I don't get it with some of these reviewers that you know like and I'm more into the um, the visual you know reviewers on YouTube versus uh, written. But I'll hear someone say, "Yeah, I smoked a couple of these last week, and then now I'm going to review it." And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I you know, it's 
my, I, I have a, a, a rule and I've only broken it once. I, I won't review a cigar that I've smoked before. But sometimes, and, Charlie, I can only imagine, you know, you get a you get a bundle of cigars that you want to review and you're excited for this review, but you have to wait, you know, your X amount of days. I can just imagine that that kid at Christmas morning every day in your office, like shit. I cannot wait until I can smoke this damn cigar. Yeah. Or or, or did that feeling pass ten years ago? Oh yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's uh, that's a pretty rare feeling at these days. Um, it's no, I mean it, it's just it doesn't. Uh, we have so many cigars. I mean, look. To be quite honest, if I really want to smoke something, I'm almost happier when I don't have to review it because that means if it's disappointing, well, then dude, I have to smoke I'm, three of them. I'm right here yeah. in Bryan College Station. I'm a three-hour drive from you. Yeah. I'll drive up. I'll take some take some of the load off. Yeah. You know, um, I can't write it, no. but I can talk shit. Yeah, but uh, um, um, so are we? Are we back, Val? With you? I think. I think Val. For, yeah. Okay. All right, Val. Well, so, how is that cigar with your pairing tonight? You know, at the beginning, the the Canadian whiskey it's cast strength, so it overpowered the cigar a little bit. But with time, it's all balancing out. It's I, for me, it's a it's a perfect match. I'm I'm very happy with the results. Um, but that doesn't happen you have to be very careful with the cask strength whiskey because it has all the alcohol go with percent alcohols you're going to be numbing your taste buds a little bit so it's very you know it's really important that you pace yourself with a cask strength whiskey but this cigar is absolutely charlie when you're reviewing a cigar are you handwriting the notes are you are you putting them directly to a spreadsheet what's what's your methodology there um I used to handwrite them, not anymore. Um, so uh, there's two different things going on. I have like a text editor open, and that's where the, the actual tasting notes are going into. Um, and so I'll use like dashes on my own end to sort of divide them up from cigar to cigar. Um, and then there's also a spreadsheet, but that's just done for scoring. So um, we have a, a scoring rubric essentially, and um, each cigar gets filled out, and then at the end of it, the, the three cigars go into a rubric key, essentially, and it spits out a score. Now, now t on the score, you know, I've often wondered how some of these, you know, score, and, uh, not on your, just everybody scores. Do you start off with everything being at a zero or an 100, and then it, it comes down? Where, where does it, you know, how does, and without giving anything away on how you, you rate cigars, um, how, how exactly does the score come about? I mean, I would say from a philosophical standpoint, it probably starts at 100 and works its way down. Um, but technically, I guess it starts at zero and works its way up. Uh, it, it's a The scores for Half Wheel are broken down, um, I guess, into 10 different sections, if we want to be really specific, 11 sections. So the first one is um, on appearance. It's a... It probably equates to about a point, maybe 1.4 points when it goes through the scoring key. And so that's just, uh, you know, would I buy this cigar or put it back down in, in the retail shop? Um, so every once in a while, you'll see a cigar that's got Does a... Does that include wrap. the band or just the wrapper? No, no, but it's just the outside of the cigar or, or technically, I guess, how it's rolled. Every once in a while, you'll see a really bad patch job or something or mm -hmm. there'll be a piece of plastic sticking out of the foot. So or band something. is a non-factor? No, no, no. It's it. I would say... I don't know. I probably reviewed 200 plus 
individual cigars a year, probably over 250. And I think I probably take off a point one or two times a year, maybe. Um, it's pretty rare at this point for that to happen. And then from there, there are, I guess it's more than 11. There are four categories, I think, that are broken down by thirds. So the first is flavor, which is the bulk of the, 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 the score. Um, and so first third, second third, final third, they all get scored. Um, and we have descriptions to help guide us along there because the, the score sheet doesn't add up to 100 points until it goes into the rubric. So um, it spits out a number like at the end of the review, it'll say like 52, 10, 9, which obviously does not add up to 100. That's probably a 91-ish point review would be my guess, somewhere around there, um, it, once it goes to the rubric. So score is the big part of it. I think it's, I forget now, we, when we created the website, we sat down and said, here's how much we want to be dependent on the score. And I'm guessing it was somewhere just shy of two-thirds of the score is flavor dependent. And then from there, there's, um, there's some construction attributes that are also broken down by thirds. So there's uh, draw, smoke production, um, and then uh, the burn. So um, I think the most controversial part of our score sheet was probably the burn, because a lot of people are like, I have a lighter, I can relight the cigar, I can touch it up, whatever. Um, and our sort of philosophy on that is that, you know, if two cigars are identical, um, except one of them requires me to continue to touch it up, uh, it's unfair to the cigar that burned perfectly start to finish to have that cigar get the same score as a cigar that was not perfect um and so you know i understand why people sometimes are like you know certainly when i'm smoking a cigar for not for review i don't really care as long as i'm not having to touch it up every five or ten minutes mm -hmm. um and then the last part which isn't done by thirds is uh just a balance category and and that's i think it more and more it's sort of just an extension of the flavor but every once in a while you'll have a cigar that's got really good flavor but it's just terribly unbalanced and um you know, the way to sort of adjudicate that is, is in the balance sector. And, and how do you discern balance? What are, what are the, Where's yeah, the delineation? That? So I'm looking more towards does the overall profile, both the flavor profile, the, or I guess the flavor profile, the body and the strength makes sense. If one of those categories is, overwhelming the other two so typically this is going to be an issue where um you've either got a singular flavor that's just completely overwhelming the rest of the flavors or a cigar is super strong but doesn't have the the flavors to sort of back that up um where it ends up being a nicotine bomb but but it's a mild to medium or a medium profile um that's usually where the balance is gonna is gonna take a hit um but once again, I, I think it's really kind of just an extension of flavor. I, I, I'm not, you know, if we had to make a revision, I think one of the revisions to the score sheet would probably be to, to reduce or maybe even get rid of the, the balance category and just put those points towards the flavor. Um, but at this point, I think it's going to be a long time before we really redo the score sheet because that obviously historically is going to throw all the other scores. There's going to be, it's going to be tough to make sense of them all. Oh yeah, it'll be you know an, an asterisk. It'll be before and after. So yeah. you know, you know, Newton. Charlie, I didn't. If, if Kevin asked, I forgot. Do you smoke cigars without reviews? I mean, do you smoke three to five cigars a day, or is no. it just a review time? No, I would say the uh, probably seventy-five plus percent of the individual cigars I smoke are for review. 
um, it's taken a, a big hit this year. I, I tend to, when I'm traveling, smoke a lot more cigars not for review, whether that's at a factory or at a trade show or those sorts of things. Those will be the days when I'm smoking. You know, I might light up not at a trade show, but you know, if I'm in Nicaragua, I might light up ten or twelve cigars throughout the day. I won't mm-hmm. probably finish ten or twelve cigars, but um, that that doesn't happen typically. But a day in the life of Charlie Monado, you're not lighting up a cigar at ten a.m. for the hell of it. Most likely not, unless I'm if I'm not going to review a cigar that day, then um, then maybe, but uh, but probably not at ten a.m. But no, the. The, the rule of thumb for me, at least, is that if I'm going to review a cigar, that's got to be the first cigar that I smoke that day. Um, so, like, I was reviewing a cigar earlier today, um, and I don't have an issue smoking another cigar right now, obviously, for this. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go home and then try to, to pull out a re- review. It just wouldn't. I find my palate just is, is substantially reduced, yeah. um, even after a mild cigar. Oh, I, I, I agree. You know, um, uh, I try. So, do you? Ca- not, yeah. No, go ahead. I said it's 99% of the time I try on a review that to be our first cigar of the day as well. So go ahead, Val. Hey, do you do anything to calibrate your palate? With that first cigar of the day, do you want to calibrate your palate? I know some people talk about calibrating their palate, and I'd like to know your views on that. Um, I don't. Um, I... The only thing I really try to do it beyond the, the sort of mental aspects of, of not, you know, being distracted. Um, the only other thing I would say that I do is that uh, I usually try to take at least two hours in between eating anything and, um, and smoking a cigar for a review. And usually that last hour or so beforehand, um, it'll only be water that I'm drinking. And even then, it, I, I found that water actually, and I'm sure your wine and, and spirits um, experience, indica- you know, speaks to this i found that even tap water you know affects how I, I taste a cigar um and so i really try to avoid drinking anything unless i like start coughing um during a review and if that's the case then it's water yeah and, and you're absolutely right you've got different qualities of tap water some are heavily fluoridated so you're going to have that effect um some have more minerals than others so that's going to make a difference um, let's go back to the, the scoring, uh, 100 point score. Um, really when it comes to cigars, it's not really a hundred point score. It's a 20 point score. Have you, have you ever scored anything in the seventies or is it always between the eighties and the nineties? No, we've, we've certainly scored things in the seventies. I don't know when the last time a 70 point <laughs> score happened. I, there was, I believe, a 56 a few months ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, there'll be some 70s throughout the year at Half Wheel, certainly. A and fi- usually a, a handful of things below that, too. Yeah. A 56 from you guys? Yep. Oh, I'd hate to. Who was the, uh, what was the cigar? <laughs> it was that? the Particus Capitulus, the new, uh, the tin cigar from Habanos. Uh, or maybe it was. Was it the Romeo? I forget. There, there's a part of this in a Romeo. I reviewed the whichever one came out first. It was quite awful. Um, <laughs> you know, it didn't. It was some of them were plugged, and it was just very, very harsh. But no, it, it happens. Um, you know, I wish that our score sheet was was more flexible to that regard. The one thing we've tried to get away from is a whole bunch of 88s, 89s, and 90s. It still happens, but it. You know, we actually did redo how we scored cigars. 
2014. Is the um, Yeah. Yeah. And it just became the the issue was was that it seemed like to Val's point, we had a big issue where 88, 89, and 90 were just happening all the time, and 91s were tough, and 86s were tough, and what I wanted to see was not just lower scores out of that 88 to 90 bracket, but I also wanted to see more 93s and 94s and 95s because those were, you know, a 94 or 95 was a once or twice a year occurrence. We now are at the point where it's happening. I don't know. Maybe it happens 10 times a year, which is a five-fold increase probably from where it was. So uh, it was made to go both ways, but but the primary focus was to say it doesn't make sense if we review, say, 200 cigars a year if 100 of them or 80 of them show up between 88, 89, and 90. We need to figure out a way, even if we think those cigars are all deserving of those scores, we should try to figure out a way to help differentiate that for the, the readers. Um, sure. Because it was just it was too heavily of a of a peak or heavy eighty eight. Yeah, the the curve was was a bit off. Yeah, so I know it's hard being in your business because of what you do. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question. You're probably going to give me a bullshit political answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If if someone said, "Hey, Charlie." Let's go sit down and have a cigarette. I'm buying. What do you want? Oh, you mean cigar? You said cigarette? I said, yeah, cigar. Yeah. Yeah. A cigarette's a pretty easy answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cigarette is, I, I don't want one. Yeah. Uh, cigar wise, um, you know, obviously sometimes we're in the mood for a specific thing. But no, I, look, I, I would say this the when I'm smoking for pleasure, um, you know, at the end of the night, and I'm just going to pull out something. And I'm going to go looking for it. So I'm not going to like open up a human order like I did today. I opened up a human order and whatever jumped out, jumped out. Um, mm-hmm. Turns out it was a gigantic out of it. But if you're, um, at, diet, if you're at Club Humidor. Yeah. The answer is going to be. Collections. Yeah. So uh, it'll probably. it'll. I really, for whatever reason, over the last few years, have started to enjoy Opus X, but fresh. So not the five, eight year old Opus X, but to get them sort of right off the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably be the start of it. Um, if it's not going to be that, um, I'm still, uh, you know, depending on the time of the year, because Cameroon doesn't do well, but I still really enjoy Don Carlos a lot, um, which obviously is two for two on the Fuente aspect. Um, you know, I smoke a lot of Padron um, 64 Naturals. The Natural mm-hmm. Torpedo is my, that's sort of my go-to Padron. Yeah. Um, if I want something milder, um, a Davidoff or a, a Gabawan, um, and if I want something that's a little bit spicier, but maybe not with the strength of the Opus or the Padron, um, it's, uh, it's probably going to be the, uh, the little Missione, particularly the 1959 size. So there's a handful of, uh, of things. And there's, I think there's only, a handful of cigars that you'll just go grab it and be like, I know I'm going to enjoy this. It's going to be a good thing. That, that Cabaguan, that was the, uh, that was the weird one within all of those Padrones and Fuentes <laughs> to throw out the, uh. Uh, the Cavaguan. That's, that's I, I that he, so. he said a fresh Fuente. I find that interesting. You know, everybody wants an aged cigar. Everyone wants something that's, you know, they, got 10 years on it. And, and they yellow think they want an age. Yeah, they think they want an aged cigar because, you know, that's marketing. The aged cigars, they're good. There's no doubt about it. But 
how many of Kevin, those are you personally you have well you got an opus I, x that's what tenor i have i have a 20 year old opus x that, that i just picked up and um um i'm in i'm interested to see how it smokes because i'm not a fan of opus x um it's just a little too bold for me the nicotine on the you know the fresh opus x is just a little too high you know so i'm interested to see what 20 years does to uh an opus x and um i, I have a feeling i'm not going to taste anything you know after after it's just going to be a cigar tw tw 20 years i, I mean i've smoked some yeah. some of the super old opus x they're they still got a ton of flavor um as long as they're stored right i would say the one that's uh you know vsg uh maybe eight years ago if you could smoke a, a original vsg that had been aged that long those cigars were absolutely incredible i, I don't think it's necessarily the case um anymore but it's interesting to, to hear that because for me, I, I can smoke fresh opus. I can smoke opus off the table all day long, um, but in Yeho, just destroys me. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. How do you think? You, like, are you a, a pretty strong on nicotine, or, or are you kind of a? Uh, a, a yeah, no, I'm middle of the yeah, road yeah. guy. With with that list of padrones he listed, uh, he he's got to no, be. But, uh, no, because on this one in particular, he said that towards the end he felt a strong nicotine punch. And so, just curious, do you uh, honest, like, not honest, but uh, regularly have that nicotine punch, or is it a Be rare occasion? Before no, you answer that, Charlie, okay. just like that, don't some blenders deliberately try to deliver a nicotine punch in the final third? Um, maybe. You know, I, they, there certainly are people. I think it's more likely the the front loading of it, where they, they try to put the 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 center of the leaves, um, you know, towards the the front of the cigar. Um, but I mean, if you've been in factories before, if you watch them bunch cigars, like whatever the intent was of the of the owner of the company, who knows whether Juan Carlos is doing that when it comes time to roll the cigar, yeah. bunch the cigar, like it, yeah. you know. It, yeah, yeah, uh, I've I've heard that from like Steve Saka. It's like you know we we can give them a recipe, we can teach them, we can tell know, them all that tobacco tip and back, then, and, and then when we sit there, stuff. they'll do it every time. As soon as we walk away, though, you know that you know that they have nine hundred more cigars to roll that day. They're gonna you know, and sometimes it's just out of spite. Sometimes it's like you know this gringo just sat here and yelled at me for fifteen minutes. Like, <laughs> Screw you. Um, <laughs> And sometimes there's like, I remember I was having a conversation with, with a bunger one time and like sometimes it's just like, you know, they're like, look, I've been doing it this way for six months and you haven't complained yet. Like clearly if this was an issue, you would have said something about it pretty early on in the process. Um, and so rather than like, yeah, it's Wednesday and you're complaining at me, but like, I'm just going to go back to the way that I'm doing it. And I guess if you yell at me five times about it, then maybe we'll change. But uh <laughs> I mean, I guess I need to spend more time in the factories to see how much it really makes a difference because you hear these guys say that, you know, that, that bunch, if, if you can take that leaf and, and roll it, you know, inversely where it becomes like a, a rolled V or you can take it and, and fold the stem forward and the tip under and there's so under. many different ways to do it. And yeah, there's so many different ways and, and they're saying that is what creates the cigar, um, and, and it's like I, I need to spend more time in the factory to how, see how, how much it how really. How often are you getting effect. to the factories, uh, Charlie? I know this year's uh, is tough. On, on a typical year, though, what, what's your what's your traveling schedule like for for cigars? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll go to, all, I mean, this year I went to all the festivals, so Nicaragua, the DR, Cuba. I went to um, all the festivals in 2020 myself. Yeah, none, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then I'll usually take at least two or three more trips down um, to the factories. It just kind of depends on the year. Obviously, this year's been a, a rather bizarre one. But I would say, in general, I'm in 15, probably 20 factories at a minimum a year. Sometimes it's only for an hour but the other part of this is you know if you've been to enough factories at a certain point you're just looking for the differences and if you like i've been to uh tabalisa the, the main oliva factory probably 50 times so you know it, it changed dramatically this year but like most years when you go back to to the oliva for when i went back to the oliva factory like it was like okay here's the what we did different in this room and then it's just like you know it's the same stuff um it's uh it's not a not like a, a new model year for the Ford F-150 where the factory has to get completely retooled. Exactly. So, so you're, you're being invited down most of the time. Do you, or, or do you, do you reach out sometimes? Hey, you know, you know, I hear you guys are doing this. I, I'd like to, I'd like to come down and check it out. Or is it most of the time they're reaching out to you to come on down? Yeah. Most of the time it's, it's invites. I mean, we'll, um, you know, there's, there's times where I'll go to, uh, you know, a country. Usually I'll go there for, something pretty specific and then i'll try to you know stick around um for a few extra days and then go see other people um but uh no but there have been times which i just you know went down to nicaragua and booked a, a room for a week and you know tried to get to as many places as possible and um you know there are some places that i still really you know i really want to go to cameroon um, which is a bit more complicated than uh, central america <laughs> yeah that's, but, a, that's um, an understatement yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, you know, there are other places, and you know, I want to go see some of the smaller factories in Cuba, but that's uh, another complication. Um, but you know, it's uh, like I said, at this point, it's just trying to to see different things um, and, and to get a sense of of you know how people make cigars differently, as opposed to there's not progress reports like oh, you know, Oliva's doing this this year because that that just really doesn't happen for the most part. All right. Well, if you're interested in, uh, uh, I think the only other event going on in 2020 is the uh, the Ebor City Cigar Heritage Festival here in uh, Tampa. So um, that's only an hour away. I'm in Sarasota County. Tons of you know you got uh, Eric from Dojo. A lot of the guys we all they all vacation here in Sarasota, and that's where Bill Davies Tobacco Locker is. Saras- you know Sarasota County. So yeah, um, I've been to the Ebor Festival the last four years, maybe. Oh, you were there last year. And I didn't, I've uh, been there for a while. Um, oh, I, I didn't. I didn't see. I always. I always look forward to that. So yeah. So you're only an hour away from the tobacco locker. Yeah. No. At some point, I'll have to. I didn't realize he was that close to Tampa. But no. Um, I want to say it's been the last four years. Maybe only the last three. But certainly, a handful. Uh, no, I think it's been four because I think we've had three different Airbnbs and one hotel room. All right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you got you know you got the JC Newman uh, t- factory that's reopening. You know that the renovations are all all done. So have you have you visited the um, that factory yet? I've not seen it since the renovations were done. The last time I was there, the the I think the room that they're doing the most renovation from had no floor, so you could look up like four stories. Oh yeah. Um, but no, the last time I was there, it was it was definitely a construction site. They had, it was I guess last December was the last time I was there. So. Okay. Yeah. So um. Yeah, I was there in uh January and then March and then um. Um, I know Adria is not listening because I know I wasn't supposed to say it, but I'll be there Friday um, to tour the uh, the completed uh, the completed factory. So it should be pretty 
it should be pretty cool to see it done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to has been doing a great job. Oh. And Angie Newman's been doing a great job of what's, you know, helpful to the consumers to see the activity that's going on. Yeah, yeah, they, they have a great marketing team over there, social media um, with uh, uh, Audrea Rebecca. Um, so um, they, they've really delved into, you know, you, you got, you got, you know, Bobby and Eric, they're a little older, you know, they're, they're not really on the social media side, you know, you know, it's kind of passed them by a little bit, you know, so yeah, um, that, that younger team over there has done a good job of, of well, keeping, keeping up to date. Dude, plant tickets are cheap, man. Tell Idri to send yeah, me a ticket. Gonna, I'll be there on Friday. <laughs> But in the in the defense, uh, having done you know Poro Sabor 2016, I really got to give Eric Newman credit. He was always there. He was always available to talk about what was going on in the you know in the JC Newman world, and he, he makes himself available personally one on one. So I think you know I think that's a you know a, a credit to that company for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, one thing that um, that uh, I'm surprised I've never seen Charlie, and and I'm, I'm I'm and maybe there's a reason. I'm sure there is a reason behind it. Why has there never been a half wheel cigar? You know, um, half wheel merch. Um, you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of half wheel stuff out there. I mean, you guys have you know your your huge platform, the biggest there is. Um, is there a reason why you have you've decided never to do a cigar? Yeah, I mean, a cigar is an easy one. I don't think that we could make a cigar. And then review stuff very ethically. Um, it would just open the the floodgates to like let's say for example let's say we had J C Newman make a cigar for us. You know, anytime we rated a J C Newman cigar highly, it would be oh the reason why they're doing that is because that's you know they're in bed with J C Newman. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's the explanation there. There have been you know people have asked and you know certainly with what Dojo's done where you know they've got. I don't know, 15, 20 different cigars at this point that they've done with all sorts of manufacturers. Oh, yeah. Um, that came up, and even people like Abe have asked, I know they're doing right now, um, they're doing the sampler thing at Smoke In um, with the various bloggers, and it's the same story there. It's like, you know, uh, it, it, I don't think for a second that any of those people are putting those cigars in those samplers because, you know, uh, for anything ethically, and I'm sure that the, those people will continue to review you know, those sampler, the, the manufacturers that are, have cigars in that sampler, you know, just the same without it. But it, it, it opens the door up for some criticism that's probably unnecessary. And, and ultimately, I don't know how lucrative it would be for us financially. Um, we'd also probably, I imagine the downside of that sampler thing with Abe would be just the amount of complaints we'd get from people, from my, both retailers and manufacturers that were like, why are you doing this with us? So that that seems like a nightmare. Um, as far as the swag goes, I don't. You know, I've thought about it every once in a while. We we have made shirts, and they were somewhat offensive, uh, which is intentional. <laughs> um, we have a whole bunch of stickers and magnets and other stuff, but it's just it's a. There's only so many hours in the day, and I don't. Maybe we could make three or four grand over the course of a year. Maybe yeah, it, minutes, it, but. It, it's not a whole lot. And that sampler that he was talking about is Battle of the Bands by uh, by Smoke In, and I know we're hosted by Corona Cigar, but uh, if you're going to buy one, make sure you buy the Cigar Prop, Shorty for 40 Sampler. Um, and, and then you're you're right on that, Charlie. And um, I, I'm telling you right now, I said, uh, 
reviewers are biased, so so I, I like that that you don't you know um, uh, make your own cigar. You know when you get you know I am t- there, there's the, the Drew the Drew sign behind me where the Drew Estate Experience Acid Studios. If you don't think that I'm going to be a little bit biased against Drew Estate cigars, you're you're mistaken. Um, I try my best. Um, the Extraordinary Larry by Drew Estate is a horrible cigar. I smoked it once. I'll never smoke it again. It's it's bad. It's really bad. But um, for the most part, like I said, uh, that you know, it's there. You know, I, I love Steve. But all Saka. the niggas are good. All Steve, the undergrounds Steve, are good. Steve Saka is a friend of mine. We chat on the phone. I'm a little biased. I like his stuff. So yeah, it's um, you know, but yeah, hey, so Charlie. I, 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 yeah, I see where you're going with that. But yeah, Charlie. Yeah. All right. I, I'm the guy that asked stupid questions Kevin, left field. Kevin. But is there a way, and I'm sure you probably know, is there a way to, um, similar to Leafly, okay, for cigars? Yeah. Hmm. Not really. I don't, you know, I know there's been some attempts at it. It's just so tough. It's, um, you got to remember that. So, you know, with with cannabis, you're you're dealing with, you know, strands, um, and so yeah, they might be hybrids, but they're the, the strands are usually brand names and, and whatever. But you're you're only dealing with one strand, so it's a hybrid, but it's it's this hybrid. Yeah. With cigars, the issue becomes that the tobaccos are all um, the the cigars are inside of a tobacco. You've got Generally speaking, the sort of old school approach is you've got five different leaves. You've got three fillers, a binder, and a wrapper. Now, they could all be the exact same leaf, uh, mm-hmm. but still, they're not going to taste the same because the, the fillers are cured differently in the wrapper and the binder um, at the early stages, and then the wrapper and the binder get separated and are, are processed differently towards the very end. Yeah. Um, so you can't, see, you can't see a leafly to where it's like, all right, you bought this X cigar, that binder is Nicaraguan, and it's grown in uh, this region. It's going to give you peppery, spicy, and like break it down. No, I mean the, and, the other even nicotine content. Like there, there uh, are like a million variables here. So, starting with uh, you, know, you take a company like Placencia. Placencia sells tobacco to just about everybody in Nicaragua, if not you know around the world. Um, but Placentia might grow, you might have this plant and this plant literally next to each other in the field. Um, and this plant gets bought by, you know, whoever, Drew Stake. And this plant, uh, Placentia is going to use on their own. Sure. Same seed, same vintage, same field right next to each other. Yeah. What Drew Estate's going to do to that tobacco is going to be different than what Placentia is going to do with it. As far as aging and... and yeah, um, they're going to process it. They all have their yeah. own sort of... You know, it's, it's like brisket. You know, ultimately, you, you we could all buy, you know, the same cow, and, but we're going to go it's home... And after the fact. Yeah, and so there's that problem. Then there's the issue of within the individualized plant, you know, Plant A might end up being seventy percent wrapper, and Plant B might only have twenty percent wrapper for whatever reason. And and that's just somebody. There's no like way to determine. Uh, there's not some sort of guide of this is wrapper and this isn't wrapper. They want as much of it to be wrapper as possible because it, it, it yields more money. But you know, for example, wrapper. You could have a leaf that's perfect, but if it's got a hole in it, 
mm-hmm. depending on how big the hole is that that they just they just decide that that can't be wrapper because it's just not worth the, the time and the effort to to get it knowing that sure, they're but it can be on the inside yeah and then from but from there the wrapper leaf is going to get treated differently than the filler leaf um and they're they're not going to end up they're going to have a lot of salaries to them but they're not going to look the same when all said and done they're not going to burn the same they're probably not going to have the same flavors and then you've got crop years um which causes a whole different set of problems obviously well, that's what i'm saying though because like with leafly i mean you can go into crop year or not necessarily crop year but you know growth time and and everything else so i just I feel like you could envision with a little bit of creativity. All right, this is a ninety-eight placentia, boom, 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 boom. Similar well, I mean, but like, not exact to leafy. The, the other issue becomes, I'll say two other things that kind of cause some big variables here. So, one of them is that the manufacturers, you know, even within the same manufacturer, you take somebody like Padrone. You could have a box of Padrones, and one cigar could have the oldest tobacco could be eight years old. You could have a box of Thousand Series for the record. And the other cigar, a cigar could have 18-year-old tobacco in it. And it's just because yeah. Padron decided that, that one, you know, bale of tobacco needed 10 extra years until it got to yeah. the point where they wanted it to get to. Um, and so that becomes a real tough thing when you're talking about a box. The final thing that, that sort of throws all of this into jeopardy is, you know, the manufacturers lie regularly about what's in their cigars. <laughs> um, and what they are really bad about doing is telling you when something's changed. Um, and things change all the time. One of the first conversations I had in depth, and Val can appreciate this, was was in the summer of 2010. I just started writing about cigars, and I emailed Michael Herklotz because I was like, oh, Herklotz does all these wine events, so he's got some experience in the wine world and uh, obviously knows a lot about cigars. He was working with Davidoff stores at the time. And um, I said, hey, you know, in, in the cigar world, there really aren't any vintages. Now, at the time... Uh, Taiwahe was doing the Little Verte project, which was the, the sort of attempt at making a cigar from a wine perspective and selling it from a wine perspective. But, you know, every other cigar, take a, a, a dong or a short story or a Terrafuente short story, you know, cigar's been on the market for three decades now. Uh, Fuente does no delineation about is this short story, you know, they don't even box dates. You don't even know when the cigar was rolled. Uh, let alone when was the wrapper from, when was the binder from, etc. So tracking um, is a, it, tracking is the biggest problem. Well, sort of. But what? And I was like, it, in wine, you know, if you have the same, uh, you know, wine, and you've got a 2014, a 2015, a 2016, if you open them all up at the same time and drink them, and they taste the same, and I want to be very clear, I know very little about wine. But if you opened up three bottles with three consecutive vintages of the same exact wine and they all tasted the same, you would think something went terribly wrong. Because the expectation in the wine world is that because of how they make wine, because of how wine's marketed, but also because of how they blend wine, they they really shouldn't taste the same if you're going to declare a vintage. Now, if you're drinking unvintage wine, uh, there is that attempt at trying to make it similar, maybe not identical. But in, in the world of the cigar world, Fuente wants you to be able to walk into a store today and buy a short story and light it up, and it's going to taste the way that a short story tastes. And if you did that 10 years ago, the expectation is that it's going to taste the same. And if you do that 10 years from now, the expectation is that the short story you pull off the shelf is going to taste the same. And, the, and that's just the, the mentality of the cigar world. And so rather than letting the tobacco sort of come to them and, and say, this year is going to be spicier than last year or whatever – Mm-hmm. There is an attempt at blending it so that it tastes the same at the end consumer level. Whereas in the wine world, 
the expectation is completely different. You know, in the whiskey world, not so much the case. If you buy a bottle of Maker's Mark, you know, you pour yourself a glass, you go to a bar two weeks from now and you order a glass of Maker's Mark and you, you buy another bottle 10 years from now, the expectation is the Maker's Mark is going to be the same. It's that recipe that you expect. Um, but the reality is it's probably not the same recipe. Like it's, it, it, you know, from a, an agricultural a product, it's definitely not the same. Yeah, it, it can't like they're having to make adjustments uh, with what barrels they pull and what they blend to get it to taste that way. Whereas they're not concerned about that if they're going to do, you know, Maker's Mark isn't so big on it. But if they did Maker's Mark Vintage 2020, um, you know, it would probably taste a lot crazier than the, the 2019 version did. Now, uh, Val, on, on his, uh, the wine, you know, um, was, was he correct? I mean, I'm not a wine guy either. So what was what's your take on the uh, the wine? Should the wines taste different you know, on those? You know, when you're talking vintages, let's use France as an example, because that's the e easiest to work with. You've got your Bordeaux area, and Bordeaux is all about the blend. So they're going to and yes, they're going to blend it depending on whichever grape has done well for that vintage. In any vintage, you're going to have um, a, a grape that really liked whatever happened in terms of weather, and you're going to have a grape that didn't respond that well to the weather. Like for instance, let's take, let's take Napa for instance. Let's deviate from France and go to Napa. You can have certain years in Napa, Cabernet Sauvignon does very, very well but Zinfandel hated that year. So you're, in that vintage, your Zinfandels aren't gonna be as typical as your Cabernet Sauvignon because the Cabernet Sauvignon grape liked the weather that was delivered to it that year. Um, so, you know, when you, when you talk wine, it's, it's, a, it's a big world. In France, you've got different regions, you've got Bordeaux, the, it's all about the blend. So let's say Cabernet Sauvignon didn't do as well that year. They can add a little bit of Merlot. It's still typical to that to that wine's flavor profile, but it's going to have a little bit of variation because they had to add a little more Merlot versus Cabernet Sauvignon or whatever, you know, whatever they've added to. Um, and it's great. Contribute something to the whether it's acidity or color. So. I, I get what Charlie is saying because cigars haven't really been faced with the same things that wine is faced with. But what I can say is let's go back to the scores. When it comes to wine, if it's been a particularly good vintage and that wine scores a, a 91 to a 99, there's very few hundreds, but it scores in over 90 points, that one point difference can have a huge impact on what the producer can charge for that wine if if the people doing the reviews have given a one versus a 90. Whereas with cigars, that doesn't really exist. You know, you can have a, a score of 90 to 95, but it doesn't change what the producer is going to charge for that cigar besides cigar of the year where the where the score influences the price or they can raise the price because it got particularly good scores from a variety of reviewers 
That definitely makes that makes complete sense. Um, uh, Charlie, what, um, question I have, what, you know, I, and I, and I try to ask this question for, for people that have been in the, the cigar industry as, as long as you have, even though you're still a young man in, in your, in your last decade of, of, of being in the cigar industry, what's the biggest change that, that you think you've seen, be it cutters, lighters, brick and mortars on the consumer side. If you had to pick out like the, like the, the, the biggest change in the cigar world, since you started doing this, what would that change of would be? Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, I, I think as a, a consumer, it's probably really easy. Um, you know, obviously cigars have gotten more expensive, but you know, that that's kind of the, the general nature of most products. Inflation's uh, rears its ugly head. Um, I don't think it's because of inflation, but um, cigars have certainly gotten stronger. Um, the strongest cigar ten years ago is probably not in the, the top 5% of the strongest cigars today. Um, and certainly a cigar that we consider to be medium full is probably medium at this point, not even a medium plus. You know, an eight's probably now a five, um, at least amongst the new cigars. Certainly when you walk into a cigar shop, um, you know, you still got Macanudo Cafe and you still got Ashton Classic and, and those things. But in terms of the new cigars that we see, uh, it, it's generally focused on the the medium and above range, and uh, there just seems to be a, a much much greater amount of nicotine um, as well as flavor. But really, the, the big change has been on nicotine. Um, I think that the the use of Nicaraguan tobaccos by manufacturers outside of Nicaragua has been a, a big reason behind that. But also, it just you know there hasn't been a no one's hit a limit yet about how strong a cigar can be. Um, and no one's really received any pushback of like, okay, somebody crossed a line and created a cigar that was too strong. Um, and so, you know, I think the easiest way for me, I, I mentioned this in review the other day, is like, if you think about Cro-Magnon, I remember when, when Romacraft was releasing that, when it was sold on Twitter. I don't even think Romacraft existed. It was, it was Adrian's Cro-Magnon. It was Michael Rosales' <laughs> old company. Cro-Magnon, when it came out, was like, I mean, that was amongst the strongest cigars in the market. It was, it was basically... I could be wrong, but my understanding is more or less that Skip and Mike went down to Nicaragua. Mike was making cigars. Skip was a former retailer slash media slash cigar industry figure, fanboy, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Skip liked to smoke uh, Hoya Nicaragua and Tanyos and La Flor Dominicana Double Ojeros. Those were his two favorite cigars. And he wanted to make a cigar that was a bit more old school and rustic. Um, and, you know, he used to smoke a ton of Camacho back in the day as well. And so they made Cro-Magnon. Cro-Magnon was super strong. Now it's the case that Cro-Magnon isn't even the strongest thing that Romacraft's making. And it's not even close. Neanderthal is substantially stronger than what Cro-Magnon is. And I don't think it's because Cro-Magnon got any weaker. Um, and so you've just seen an explosion. And certainly the tobacco that's in Neanderthal, the, um, the, the quote-unquote double Lajero, but the, the Pennsylvania uh, River... Green Green River Double Dutch whatever that that's <laughs> grown by uh, by Universal like that tobacco yeah. wasn't something that was being sold for cigars you know ten years ago or, or at least not extensively and now you're seeing it not just in Neanderthal but it's shown up in a couple other blends so I, I think on that perspective that's certainly the the biggest change and I think the one people can relate to certainly every day that goes by brick and mortars become less and less. Um, important, both in terms of the, the number of cigars that they're selling, but also in, in certainly 2020 has accelerated this. You know, they're struggling to keep up. I, I don't think anyone really understood 
10 years ago, just the media operations that uh, these mail-in order retailers, uh, they had, the, the reach that they have. I mean, the, the most read cigar magazine in the business, it's not even close, is the Cigar International Catalog. It's not even close. Um, and, um, you know, if they put something on the cover, uh, it's going to do a lot more than if you put that same thing on the Cigar Aficionado cover. And quite frankly, if you put it on every cover of every magazine and every blog, um, and, uh, you know, it's probably not for the better for being quite honest. I, I would, that's what I was going to ask you, uh, uh, the cigar aficionado or the cigars international catalog, uh, has, has it made the cigar industry, you know, better or worse? And, um, I, I, I would, my opinion is worse. I, I think it's just you know, the, the worst of the worst cigars, the cheapest of the cigars, you know, that, that's what they're, that's what they're pushing. I don't know if I would say that's the reason why I think it's bad. I mean, look, they're, I, they sell Padrones and Davidoffs in the catalog. It's obviously not usually the focus, but the real issue is just that I don't think it's like Amazon. There's no way of turning back from this. There is not going to be some sort of you know brick and mortar revolution where CI loses its power absent you know the ending of the ability to ship cigars to people, which would be a catastrophic thing for the cigar industry. Um, you know I think every industry is going to get more and more online um, and and. You know, even the ones that you thought were, I mean, just think about it. We've got commercial left and right for Roman. So you've, you've got, you know, it used to be you had to go to see a doctor, then you had to get Viagra. Now you can just do it all online. Um, that would have been unimaginable 15 years ago. You've got, you know, companies like Tesla where you're, they're selling cigar or selling cars and they don't even have a dealership. Um, and you, you just place a reservation online and, you, you know, you can go to one of their showrooms or whatever. You, I guess maybe you can take a test drive. I honestly have no idea. But, you know, there, there, I don't think there is a bastion, you know, of 100% face-to-face transactions that's going to exist. And, you know, the Internet is uh, it's a convenience thing and it's just going to take over. But I, I don't think anyone understood just the power that the outside of the, the mail order people that they have. Um and I don't know how to stop that or how to, to lessen the blow. Yeah, just now. Are you talking from a North American perspective? Are you talking from a North American perspective or a worldwide perspective? Because Europe has an entirely different view on on go to market strategies. Yeah, no, it's it's really just the U.S. I mean, I know that certainly Canada, you know, plays a role in it, but I mean, the U.S. is the largest market by a landslide. Um, and uh but no obviously in europe there's been attempts at trying to do a cigars international concept and it just i I, you know it hasn't really worked um there certainly are within countries there are retailers that that ship cigars to people but those are almost always owned by large you know brick and mortar retailers usually brick and mortar retail chains to be quite honest yeah there's not a lot of uh, brick and mortars you got bill davies you know i mean he, he was smart years ago. I mean, he has two and a half million cigars in, in his warehouse. You know, 90% of his business is online, and, you know, he likes to have a lounge next door to the warehouse for, for to smoke in. So, yeah, I, you know, definitely, you know, brick and mortars, if, if they don't get with it, you know, they're, they're definitely going to, you know, they're, they're going to have a hard time surviving, I think, in the next 10 years. But you're going to run into another issue already is it fedex i think that will not ship tobacco products so so you're looking at a change in how cigars are delivered because 
listening to, for instance, Reinhold Widmeyer from Cigar Journal, he said the number one enemy of, of cigars right now is the World Health Organization because they're putting such an emphasis on, the, on, on health and they're lumping cigars in with all the other tobacco products. So you've got the big transportation companies that don't want to ship tobacco anymore. Yeah, I mean, in the U.S. it's a bit different. FedEx hasn't shipped, hasn't legally allowed you, or it's been a violation of their terms of service, I think, since 2015 yep. um, to ship cigars. But, um, you know, the, the good news for the, the Americans is that because of how cigarettes were banned on the um, via the U.S. Postal Service, um, they were banned via congressional order. Um, it's likely going to take a similar order for USPS to stop shipping cigars, and so that means that thankfully for our inefficiencies of government <laughs> the chances of that changing seems pretty slim um at least as far as we can tell but um i don't maybe the world health organization is the number one threat i mean i i think F they're certainly taking it more seriously than fda but i would imagine fda is probably still it just disproportionately particularly when you remove the cubans of the world it, the u.s is just such a a massive market compared to everything else combined um, you know, what happens here sort of sets the tone elsewhere. Yeah. I, so what I, do you I, think? Yeah. Go ahead, Val. What do, you, what do you think about plain packaging? Like I've got an example here of the plain packaging that's now in place in Canada. Is, is that something that's on the horizon for the United States? What, what's your view on, on, on the effect that the anti-debacconists in the world health organization has on packaging? Yeah, I mean, once again, the beauty is our inefficiency of government makes it a lot more challenging to do in the U.S. Um, I mean, we're to give you an idea, Val, we're just now getting to a point where graphical warnings for cigarettes are going to get relitigated. Um, the, the court has already ruled once that, that they were not going to be allowed, um, and the FDA has signaled that they're going to try to to do it again and they're going to face immense legal challenges and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But plain packaging seems like a, a pretty distant future for us. Um, but look, uh, the problem is, is that it, particularly in the U S there are really no more rights to gain. Um, I mean, I guess you could try to roll back some smoking laws and taxes and whatever, but it, it's a, you're dealing with a regulated product. So it's just going to, every single year that goes by, there's likely going to be more regulations, not less. Um, but I don't think we're going to move anywhere close to the level of Canada or Ireland or New Zealand. Um, Australia. Uh, our, yeah. Our, our system of government just makes things like that so much more challenging. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, like New Zealand and Australia. Ugh, br brutal. Brutal. So where we're, where we're lucky is that we, you know, in Canada, for instance, uh, tobacco advertisements are no longer allowed. Plain packaging has come into effect. Um, but through social media, we do have the opportunity to talk about our favorite cigars and the benefits of smoking a cigar for relaxation, for meditation. Um, when, it, when it comes to the issue of how do, how, how do the producers reach the consumer? We've got bloggers and we've got cigar media. Some people see those two as entirely separate entities. What, what's your definition of bloggers versus cigar media? 
I mean, I think bloggers are a part of it, but I mean, I know that like the controversial for all 17 people that care is like <laughs> our cigar blog, like, am I a cigar blogger? And, I, you know, I don't care. Our, the top of our website says the industry cigar blog. Like, and people will be like, oh, no, you're not a cigar blog. And it's like, I don't care what the, what you call us. Like, we do what we do. Like, you can call us cigar media, you can call us a cigar blog, you can call us a cigar news website, you can call us an online magazine, whatever you want to do. Media outlet. Yeah, I don't get offended by it, but like, you know, we're going to do whatever we do, and you can put a label on it. And At the end of the day, it's the future, you know? Yeah, until how many, go, how many people go to the cigar stand at Barnes & Noble and buy Cigar Aficionado off the shelf? Yeah. Now, now Val, are, are you allowed to – you said uh, um, um, uh, ad- advertisements aren't, not, aren't allowed. Are you guys allowed to get magazines, Cigar Aficionado, stuff like that? Is that allowed? Um, ma- that or, is allowed. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't sure what, their, what the standpoint on advertisements – were in 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 Canada, you know. So what? so you, so you're allowed to have specific magazines, but just not. You can't you know like here you can't have a. It can't be descriptive. It, in, well, well, you, you can't have one in Time Magazine. Exactly, it can't be descriptive in Time Magazine. Same with alcohol. You know, like whenever I worked in radio, we couldn't say, "Come by X bar tonight and get yourself an ice cold." Insert beer name. You know what I mean? Right. Because it was descriptive. You had to say right. ice cold beer on tap or, you know, X amount of dollars, but you couldn't be descriptive about it. And I think it's the same way with tobacco. You can't be descriptive. Mm-hmm. You can't say, oh, this is so wonderful. It gives you notes of anise and licorice or they're the same. But you know All what right. I mean? Uh, so, you have to, it, it's, there's the verbiage. Yep. A, a little bit of a cigar well, industry. Or no, go ahead, Val. We'll get to finish up his yeah reply to his question it's it's alcohol is an entirely different category than tobacco though um tobacco really has been taking a beating globally in terms of what can be talked about what can be shown um and and it's happening in the states i traveled through montana i drove down uh through montana to get to the ipcpr one year and they've got giant saying, let's focus on a tobacco-free generation. Um, when in, in my own city, when tobacco bylaws, non-smoking bylaws came into effect, in this city, they actually went to be laid and penalties uh, to be applied and fines to be paid for smoking in areas where smoking isn't allowed. And in this city, you're not even allowed to smoke a cigar or or not that people should smoke cigarettes, but even a cigarette. You can't smoke in your own car if you're on property that doesn't allow tobacco use. So it's a big problem. I It's on the doorstep of, you know, areas in the United States but that's what they're pushing for, and I think that's a that's a big concern globally. Oh yeah, for 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 you sure. guys haven't felt it's, it, and no, I, we have we. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to make. I want to repeat something that. Um, I want to repeat something that Glenn Loop said. He said in the United States, cigar appreciators have no idea 
what it would be like to be able to go into a cigar lounge and enjoy their favorite cigar. There are countries are not allowing cigar lounges anymore. What would happen in the if those rules came to be? And Glenn said, if if people even had one day where they were not allowed to smoke a cigar in their favorite lounge, it might have an impact on you know getting cigar enthusiasts to mobilize and to speak up and to, and to use to use their vote to prevent those bylaws from taking effect. And you know it's going to happen, I think anyway, with COVID. Every country in the world is going into tremendous debt. What's going to be hit? What they call the sin taxes. So that's alcohol and tobacco. I think you're going to see prices going up for those, you know, for those things that people enjoy, because those are the easiest things to tax. Oh, I, I, I think you're you're 100 right, right on that. You know, completely. The vices, uh, vices. Um, a, a little bit of cigar industry, um, uh, Charlie. Where where do you think Michael Giannini will end up? Do, do you think that, is there a good company that he's a good fit for? He's a great guy. He he's weird. Um, he's weird and eclectic. Where, what what's a good fit for Michael Giannini? I don't know. I just don't know of companies that um, have the sort of resources to to do the sort of projects that Michael would like to do. Um, but. I mean, I guess if I had to, to guess, I mean, EPC seems like a, a very good guess. I don't know if that's the best of, of fits for him to necessarily show off his, you know, his creativity, but, but certainly his, you know, longstanding relationship and, and friendship with, uh, with Ernesto Press Carrillo seems like a, a likely spot. Um, you know, I don't think that Davidoff or General um, are particularly, you know, I don't I think that either one of them are actually in the market for somebody like that. So that kind of leaves Altatus or Fuente or Drew Estate um, amongst the, the big companies that sort of have the money to to put together those sorts of projects. And speaking of Davidoff, what about Michael Herklotz? I think Herklotz should go be the head of General Cigar Company. I, I think that it actually is a uh, an unbelievable fit. Um, so Regis Brosma, who is uh, was the head of General is I guess still technically the head of general, but he's now in Europe. He's got another job title added to his, his responsibilities. Um, you know, Regis, I, I think is very clearly being groomed to sort of take over STG as a whole. Um, he's, he's been at the company for a while, but he's, he's still relatively young. Um, he went to the U S to, to be the head of general to sort of learn about their core business. Um, and now he's back in Europe. Michael would be of no threat sort of to the kingdom that Regis might inherit. If you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't, with Regis, they didn't make him live, well, they did for a little while, and then he no longer lived in Richmond, so Michael could remain in New York, which I'm guessing is probably a sticking point for a lot of jobs. Um, and he would be a great fit in terms of, of you know, there would be a lot of doors that, you know, where those relationships that General has with the brick-and-mortar retailers, Michael would likely be able to smooth over a lot of the, the rockier ones because people respect her lots a lot. Um, certainly, he's got a ton of experience um, now with both the retail end of things as well as on the, the consumer end. And then, you know, for a company like General to be able to use some of, they're certainly doing it with Sean Williams um, and his role at Cohiba, but a lot of the things that Michael does that are sort of 
you know, added bonuses of employing Michael Herklotz, whether that's the, the wine pairings, whether that's the, the charity dinners, those sorts of things, Herklotz would be, you know, exemplary at that. Um, so, uh, you know, that seems like a, a good fit. Um, but I don't know if they're even considering it to be quite honest. All right. What, what, what about Jim Colucci, you know, taking over for, uh, uh, for, for Gurkha? That's a, uh, you, you think there's some, some smoothing out that needs to be done over there? Or do you think that that whole, you know, the whole situation was kind of blown out of proportion? Hmm. Um, I, I mean, look, uh, you and I were talking about this earlier. I don't go on Facebook, so <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I only, if people would send me screenshots of what was happening with Kaizod's Facebook comments, um, I mean, look, I don't think Kaizad has any intention of living crisis. I think Kaizad certainly, if somebody's willing to buy the entirety of Gurkha, would sell it for the right price, as would anyone. Um, and I think that part of the reason why Colucci was brought in was probably to help, you know, attempt to facilitate that transaction when exactly. he was brought in however many years ago. But I don't think that Kaizad has any, there's no sort of timeline. I mean, who's going to make Kaizad sell Gurkha? Kaizad? That's the extent of it. Like, yeah, so, I saw so, reports to Kaizad. So okay, so the the last I heard, he was selling. You know, and this is a month ago. He was selling. He wanted to get out. So you haven't heard anything, you know, new I mean, on he that. Said that he was going to explore selling it. Oh, okay, whatever. But like, no. Look, I don't. You know, yeah. I I don't really take the idea that Kaizad. Like, I, once again, I think that. Kalucci was brought in a couple years ago. I'm guessing that part of the conversation was trying to get Kaizad an exit before the shit on Facebook happened. <laughs> Sorry, let me rephrase that. Before he got hacked. Um, <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't I don't think... I certainly didn't see this... Like When I read the statement from Gurkha that Kaizad said he was selling it, I wasn't like, oh, we need to start really you know, putting our ear to the ground to figure out where Kaizad's going to sell, you know, who he's going to sell to. Like it, It's not a... This is the cigar industry. Like it's not, it's not boxing. It's you know, it's not the the complete wild west of ethics and morality. But like, this is not Uber. Like they're not going to force Kaizad out. Who can? Yeah, uh, agreed. And then uh, um, uh, um, one one piece of uh, last in, in industry wise, um, famous smoke. Are they selling to Alive? Where did? Where did that come from? Was there there had to have been something there? Have you investigated? You you have your sources that what what's what's what what is happening there? I mean, let's start with the the first or the second part. So I asked both Arthur and uh, Arthur Zaretsky of, of Famous, the owner, as yeah. Corey Bapper, the the CEO of Oliva. Um, they both told me that there was no truth to it. I have no reason to not believe either one of them they've always been straightforward with me um famous has had is has certainly entertained conversations about selling itself for many years now um and jay cortez the owner of oliva was one of the finalists at least as of a couple years ago maybe a few years ago at this point um the last time i would say discussions were very serious uh there were plenty of other people that also put in offers um this was prior to thompson selling to give you an idea of kind of how long ago this was oh yeah um, so there is some smoke to it, but ultimately Arthur, you know, from what I understand, Arthur got what the people making the offers believe were very, very strong offers. And then to contextualize this a bit, when Thompson sold and they announced what Thompson sold for, um, 
people were a bit surprised that it, it didn't sell for more given what the Ar the offers that Arthur was getting for his business and, and kind of how they are in relation to one another. Um, you know, there have been rumors again this year uh, and certainly within the last month that, that Arthur was going to sell, but there are rumors about every, I mean, there are rumors about half wheel selling and I have yet to have any conversations about half wheel being sold. So, um, yeah, you know, there, there are always rumors about something. I, you know, once again, I have no reason to, to not believe what Arthur and Corey said. Obviously, if three weeks from now you read that they there's a press release that says that they sold, then I'm wrong. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm more willing to believe them than I am uh, the Cigar Authority's report that, that said that they were, particularly in a world where it seemed quite clear that the Cigar Authority hadn't contacted either one of those parties to ask them. Okay. That's inter you know, interesting, so... Where does that leave the industry, Charlie? What if, if you were to, you know, be king for a day and say, all right, producers, retailers, bricks and mortar, here's what I think you should do to ensure longevity for the cigar industry. Um, I mean, I guess we'll start at the top. So in terms of the catalogs, the, the biggest issue that's facing the catalogs, and quite honestly, it might be the singular biggest issue facing the cigar industry right now because of their outsized importance, is um, there was a Supreme Court decision um, called Wayfair where um, the, the, the ruling basically said that, that online retailers can charge sales tax even if they're, you know, if the retailer is based in Oregon and it's shipping a product to Texas, uh, the retailer, Texas can require the retailer to charge uh, the sales tax, the 8.25%. Um, and certainly if you've been buying stuff online over the last five years, you will note that, you know, it used to be Apple was kind of out on an island. They, they always charge sales tax. Uh, now it's the case that everyone, including obviously Amazon being the most notable one, charges sales tax on orders. Um, the problem becomes is that that might also apply to tobacco tax. Um, and the issue is not so much the that having to charge the tobacco tax, like having to pay the money, um, it's that the software to try to apply the tobacco tax on a national level doesn't really exist. And the, the real issue becomes is, let's say that I was in, I don't know, a state with a 40% uncapped tax. So we've got Florida in the room, there's no tobacco tax on cigars. So if the cigar is supposed to retail for $9.95 MSRP or $10 MSRP, it retails for $10, all said and done, easy. We got uh, College Station. State of Texas has a 1.1 cent per cigar tax. Also very easy. You just add 1.1 cents or 2 cents if you want to keystone it to every cigar, or you just eat the, the 1 cent because it's 1.1 cents. Um, easy. But 40% becomes a challenge because it's 40% of the wholesale price. So it's not like a sales tax where you add it on to the final you know, checkout price. You got to, to take what you paid for the cigar and then add the 40% the, the to that number and then put it back into the, the equation. That becomes a real big issue because if I'm uh, or Val owns uh, ValCigarShop.com, Val needs to have the website recognize that there's three different prices that need to be shown here. There needs to be the Florida price, $10.00. The, the college station price, $10.02 maybe, and then my price in a 40% state where it's going to be something like, I don't know, uh, 12 bucks, $13, somewhere in that range. 
And then you've got you know, other states that have you know a 95% wholesale tax, but it's capped at 40 cents or 50 cents. So now it's, you know, if it's at this price, it gets added to 50 cents and at certain prices, if it's $3, it might only be 47 cents. There just isn't software that exists to help figure all that out. Um, and so it could mean that particularly if you live in a tax state and there's only four places in America where there aren't taxes on cigars, uh, yeah, Florida, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and DC, um, you know, but if you live in a place that's got taxes, um, but isn't a large or important state, like say Utah, where there's not a lot of cigar sold, uh, it's already the case. Some retailers just won't sell to people in certain states because it's not worth their time to figure out the taxes and, and that state imp- enforces the tax code. Ohio is a, a great example. Uh, I think North Dakota is another one. Um, so that's on the, the big the brick and mortar level, or sorry, the, the, the catalog level. On the brick and mortar level, it's quite simple. It, you know, it's been alluded to. They got to figure out a way to survive in, in you know, a world in which people can order cigars from their toilet. Um, and I, I think that the, the answer to that is, you know, not just making sure that you can smoke in your cigar shop, like you were alluding to earlier, Val, but ultimately being able to sell liquor um, in an environment where you can smoke. Um, cause that's, that's really the, the key for brick and mortar, I think to survive, um, in most places. Um, it also, it, it's just an added revenue stream. It means you can make money off people sitting in chairs, which doesn't happen in a cigar shop without liquor sales. Um, another on the manufacturing end, it, you know, it, it's probably a combination of FDA and the aforementioned catalog nonsense. Yeah, it's a big picture. Make, it, it, it is. And I know Florida, I mean, it's, it's tough to get a liquor license in Florida, you know, we're on our third year in a row in Sarasota County where there were no new nick- liquor licenses up for grabs. So, you you know, you have to buy one at roughly about a million dollars, you know, or just wait. Wait till one becomes available and enter the lottery and hope and hope you get one. Yeah, and so I, I think it's actually the liquor licenses aren't usually the big issue. There are certain states. Florida is, is infamously one. Massachusetts is another state where that liquor licenses are really expensive. Um, in Texas, they're they're extremely inexpensive because you rent them, you don't own them, so they're not an asset, um, and the state okay. will gladly take your money. But the issue we have in Texas is that um, in both Dallas and in Houston and, and the respective counties, you, you can't um, have you can't serve liquor in an environment that allows smoking. You can do one or the other. You can allow smoking, but you can't serve liquor, or you can serve liquor and you don't allow smoking. In Houston, there is there are no places that uh, that allow for that to happen within city limits in dallas we've got two places that are grandfathered but they're in one place that's operating questionably illegally um but i mean otherwise it's it's, it's illegal wow you can do it out you can allow smoking outside i should be very okay. clear about that I, but you, you can't allow smoking indoors and serve liquor or serve any alcohol i i think the information that you just delivered charlie is the most important information i have ever heard on any podcast because I don't think people realize just how big it is. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I I can't even imagine trying to be a a brick and mortar in in this day and age twenty twenty. It's um it, it's you know it, it's it's got it's got to be tough. And um I, I've got friends that want to open up brick and mortars, at least three of them, and it's like. God, how how do you how do you make it work? How, how you know how, how does that happen? In, in how do you pay the bills? Yeah. yeah. So and I mean, you know, even I'm thinking back. I don't know if it was 20, 
2017 or 2018 that that Davidod, during one of their media gatherings, alluded to that. They said there's only going to be a few left standing, a few producers left standing. And I thought that was a very telling statement on the part of Davidoff that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to see a change in the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we definitely, we definitely will. Um, what, what, one last question here for you, Char, before we let you go, we definitely appreciate you coming on and spending, um, uh, two hours of your time with us. So you get a, um, you get a box of cigars of your choice and a, uh, uh, an airline flight anywhere in the world. Um, what, what is that box of cigars and where do you take that box of cigars to smoke them for a few days or a week? Yeah. So, uh, I've been wanting to get the Maltese for a while, um, before it, it no longer exists because it's very likely in 30 or 40 years will be completely underwater or mostly underwater. Um, but I uh, haven't found the, the time to, uh, to do that. Um, and then a box of cigars. Um, I may not be great for the seawater, but, uh, you know, the Don Carlos Lancero to me has always been that sort of, you know, super special occasion cigar that unfortunately they don't really sell. Um, they have a petite Lancero. If you happen to be around somebody with the last name of Fuente, you should definitely ask them about that. The petite Lancero is awesome as well. I, I, um, I will, I will be with, uh, uh Miss Fuente Angela Yu, um, uh, the, this, uh, uh, this weekend. So the P Petite Lancero Don Carlos. Um, it is my birthday this weekend, so I am going to ask her if she brought any of her Fuente collection with her to Florida since uh, I'll be at her new lounge um, while it's still under uh, construction. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely have to, have to pry one of those. So that, that's your box and the, and the Maldives. So yep. right on. So, Charlie, we want to thank you for coming on, spending a, a couple hours of your time with us, man. We, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. You have a good night. You as well. Thank you. Have a good one, man. Oh, super, super cool, super cool guest. Um, um, Charlie Minata, Half Wheel. Um, hopefully everybody has, has enjoyed the show. definitely a wealth of knowledge. He, he, yeah, he really brought a lot to the show. And uh, I think we can all go away with, you know, not just a sliver of information, but a bucket full of information. And uh, and and he and, and he smiled generally a couple of times. Val, you got him to <laughs> smile once. So uh, um, so yes, uh, it was de definitely a uh, a great show, and we, we definitely appreciate uh, uh, Charlie coming on. Um, it is now time for the tapping ash and taking names giveaway, presented by Simpler Hair Color. Simpler Hair Color, I use it. So should you. Links in the description below. Tonight we are giving away uh, from uh, Corona Cigar. Let me play um, um, from Corona Cigar. And I don't, I don't know if anybody realizes, but this video. Uh, Charlie Minato, I'm with the, the Cigar Feedback. That was three hours. Three hours to find that video. Not that I was looking for that video, <laughs> but uh, uh, Charlie Minato, when you 
I, I tell you right now, if everybody Googles Charlie Minata, yours, it's shocking that how little information there is on that guy. It's um, you, shocking you would, to me that the, the man is younger than my son and, 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 and has and, so much knowledge about so many things. Uh, it, 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 exactly. You know, when, when, when most people have, you know, 7, 8, 10, 12, 15 pages of Google, four. Charlie has four. You know, we we were talking before the show, Val, and uh, and I've heard it a hundred times now. Um, when uh, I was just chatting with Charlie for about fifteen minutes, and uh, and I said, hey, you know, we're gonna have Val Bradshaw on uh, joining Diggins and I. And you know, I go, are, are you know, you're familiar with Val? And she goes, yeah, I know Val. He goes, I don't have a clue what she does. And I go, I've talked to Val a half a dozen times now. I don't have a clue as to what Val does, and every single person I've ever talked to, everybody knows Val. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've known Val for like 20 years. It's like, what does she do? I don't have a clue what Val does. You know, just just Val is Val, Val Bradshaw. That's what Val does. She she is Val Bradshaw. That's what she spends her time doing. Um, so thank you to our sponsor, Corona Cigar. You're gonna get a hat. You're going to get a Corona Cigar uh, Melamine Ashtray. And then you're going to get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight um, uh, cigars from Corona Cigar. All of them, I believe all of them have uh, uh, the FSG tobacco in them. And then um, uh, everybody is, uh, you just have to dig in. You got your cigar bands. Yeah. So all you have to do is uh, guess uh, the manufacturer that, um, um, that that Diggins has pulled a uh, cigar band out of. So if everybody Tonight. Corona, Corona and FSG. So go ahead and pull out a couple, and everybody start throwing out your list of manufacturers. List of manufacturers we'll uh, minus Drew Estate. Yep. All right. Lovely Heather Callahan. Val is amazing. I have four. Should be actually, and I, I really did. Y'all saw I'll randomly grab them. Should be pretty easy for y'all. All right, so uh, we'll let me scroll back up here as they start coming in. So we got Tatuaje, Crown Heads, LFD, Drew Estate, Drew Estate, LFD. Ooh, let me let me come back. Let me come back. Yeah. Up here. Hey, reminder: Drew Estate will not be. Yeah. Um, Dunbarton, Padron, Hiram Solomon, uh, Fuente, my father. Oh, they're coming in too fast now. LFD, Warped, Ashton, Aladino, um, Casa Cuevas, Perdomo, Alive, JC Newman. Wait, wait. Uh, who did you say? Okay. Uh, let me go, let me come back up a few. So we had, um, let me come back yeah. all the way up to Heather's with Hiram Sol somebody, somebody Solomon, said. Fuente, my father, LFD. What is that? Oh, uh, Alive? Did someone say nobody said Olive? Pretty sure you just uh, you just said Olive. Did, did I? Oh, oh, I see. Uh, Dan, oh, there it is. Uh, Danny, he said it a minute ago. Danny uh, Habenton with Olive. Uh, Danny, send me an email, Kevin at cigarprop.com, and we'll get you this uh, uh, prize pack out. Um, uh, next Sunday, the next others were Partagas, AJ, and Oscar. Oh, right on. They're going back to the box. So uh, uh, next Sunday night, we've got uh, A. Dababna from uh, Smoke In uh, on the show. Next Monday night, we, we talked about him a little bit. Jim Colucci will be joining us. 
Um, Val, you gonna be able to join us for Sunday and Monday? Talk with Al and uh, Abe and um, uh, Jim. So that that'll be super cool. Remember, if anybody's interested in I tap that cigar merchandise, head over to Cigar Prop website, cigarprop.com, or just tap that cigar.com. Uh, make sure you're following all of us on the social medias. All the links are down um, in the description below. Uh, make sure you check out coronacigar.com. Uh, amazing selection. Um, uh, I mentioned it earlier uh, this evening. Um, the uh, um, the presidential battle pack. Uh, Smoke the vote 2020, 29.95 at cigar uh, uh, um, coronacigar.com. Um, you get a uh, an American, which I smoked. Absolutely love that cigar. And you get a Trump cigar and a Biden cigar. So it's going to be uh, um, uh, that Biden cigar. I'm telling you right now, that Biden cigar is a damn good cigar.